0: Back to the studio, ladies and gentlemen, it's Chase and Josh with Factor Fantasy. Chase over there, Josh right here, ready to bring you part six of Harry Potter and the Order of Phoenix today. I will say, if you made it through last week, you are a survivor, you are a diehard fan, and we appreciate the heck out of you. So, thank you for staying tuned. Today's gonna be not so much more of the same in terms of the length, but it is gonna be very similar in terms of a lot of reading and discussing. Uh, What we do here today because in these chapters, there's a lot of big climatic moments that need to be discussed And so what we're gonna do is we're gonna jump in with you guys in just a second But I wanted to give Chase the opportunity to say hey, uh, he actually has some new stuff on his visuals I know sometimes we talk about you know for the people who can't see who aren't watching on YouTube and are only watching on audio We'll discuss our visuals. Mine's pretty much stayed the same, so I haven't really mentioned it much, but Chase added a couple new wrinkles over there, so I'll let Chase kind of talk you through that, and then we'll jump right on into this bad boy.
1: Yeah, uh, just a a couple new wrinkles here. Not much. Um, I did stop by the store and buy Luck, which you can never find her. So as you know, you guys know I'm a huge Harry Potter fanatic, uh, and Hermione's my girl. So I had Hermione with the robes from, you know, basically the original hermione where she never changed clothes all the way back from sorcerer's stone right but uh for our visuals here i actually went in the store and by just some luck of the draw they had hermione from uh order of the phoenix so if you see i have her right next to ron and the original british version of order of the phoenix here and uh she's got the clothes um all the way down to the point of you know foreshadowing she's got uh, a couple of cuts on her face and then if you look to the left over here um, we uh, do have a big foreshadowing moment <laughs> that happens much later so we won't talk about that right now but if you see Harry looks just a little bit different at the moment there but uh, I do want to give a shout out to Coliseum of a comics man uh, we'll have some openings uh, later this summer hopefully I was able to find some cool stuff in there when I found Hermione here uh, and you know they actually they did tell us they subscribed to our channel, so that means a lot, and um, yeah, man, and, but we're just ready to kick this one off today. Thanks again for the loyal fans. We know last week was a long one, but you know we're taking this thing all the way home, and uh, just keep chugging along that Hogwarts Express, and with that, uh, this is Jay Nelly coming at you in the house, so I'll toss it over him, and he's going to get get us kicked off for today.
0: Awesome, man. Let's... Let's get her rolling. One more thing I did want to say that you've got Umbridge over there too on your Funko Pops, right? Like You got yeah. Dolores Umbridge? All right, cool. Because yeah. I'm not sure if that was one that you had before, and I just missed it, but I see it now. So looks awesome. <laughs> but that being <laughs> yeah, said. Yeah, she's right here next
1: to Snape. A little bit of foreshadowing there for today. So I had her uh, last week's episode, but um, yeah, it's, you know, I, as much as I hate her to be on here, <laughs> I feel like she definitely has some important moments. So. It'd oh be, yeah, uh, injustice! If I had her laying around and didn't put her on there, so
0: she's for sure integral to the storyline. And talking about the story, what we're going to tackle today is going to be four chapters: chapter thirty-one through chapter thirty-four, and uh, we're going to go ahead and, and jump right on into it, man. So a little bit of where we left off last week, real quick for everybody. Uh, we got to figure out what Hagrid was up to all summer, why he kept getting new fresh cuts and bruises. We figured out he brought his half-brother, the giant, uh, home from the mountains, 16-foot giant. He calls him Grop. And, uh, apparently he's considered very small for giant by giant standards. So he was getting bullied by the mountain giants up there. Uh, so Hagrid, like, kind of forced him and dragged him along halfway across, you know, Britain or whatever (laughs) the heck it was where he (laughs) got him from, right? And so now he left it to, if he gets fired from Umbridge, that he left it to Harry and Hermione and Ron to teach grop English. Uh, Speaking of Ron, he performed above his potential in the Quidditch, final Quidditch match uh, of this year. And he actually helped them win the Quidditch Cup with the B-listers, as I call them, with Jack Sloper, Kirk and himself, Ginny Weasley at Seeker. So the only three that were kind of on the team since really the start of the series, were uh, Angelina Johnson, Katie Bell, and Alicia Spinnet. So those are the only three that were kind of already starters, and they had f- four new ones, man. The new seeker, new <laughs> keeper, two new beaters, and somehow they scraped away and got and got the W. And that's a little bit of where we kind of pick up here today on page 703. You know, Ron's super happy about, like, I, I actually put in my notes the Gryffindor B team winning the cup. Uh, so, <laughs> you know... Again, they were, they were down Fred and George and Harry. And it's not even just so much their skill level or talent level. It's just the chemistry, the team chemistry too. You know, these guys have been playing with each other for four years. I guess three if you don't count the Triwizard Cup and Goblet of Fire. They've been playing together for three consecutive years, right? So the right. only thing that's been different is Oliver Wood. You know, he, was, he graduated. So, But think about it. You know, from the very beginning, it was Alicia, Katie, uh, Angelina, Fred, George, Oliver Wood, and Harry. And so this is the first time where they're playing with different players. And, you know, it was very impressive considering the lack of talent that they had that they won. So it was nice to see, like, Ron get some positive attention for once as well. Like, people are finally asking him questions. And, you know, we always rag on our boy Ron just because he just never really does anything cool. Well, this is his time to shine. This is Ron's 15 minutes of fame in the Harry Potter series. He's, uh, Weasley is our king, but in the good way, the, the Gryffindor chants. <laughs> Uh, but on page 704 to 705, Ron was giving Harry and Hermione a recap of the match to relive the moments, and finally Hermione, like, spills the beans. He tells Ron that, like, they actually didn't get to watch the game at all, and they go in to tell Ron the story about Hagrid and Grop. So, I'm going to go ahead and read from page uh, 704 through the first paragraph on 706. Uh, go ahead and, and start here, where it says... Well, I already let that one in of Davies. This is Ron talking about the recaps of his Quidditch uh, conquers thing that he did there <laughs> while they were in the Forbidden Forest, right? So, well, I mean, I'd already let in one of Davies, so I wasn't feeling that confident, but I don't know. When Bradley came towards me, just out of nowhere, I thought, you can do this. And I had about a second to decide which way to fly, you know, because he looked like he was aiming for the right goal hoop. My right. Obviously, his left. But I had a funny feeling he was fainting, so I took the chance, who left, and his right. And I mean... "'Well, you saw it happen,' he concluded, modestly sweeping his hair back quite unnecessarily so that it looked interestingly windswept and glancing around to see whether people nearest to him, a bunch of gossiping third-year Hufflepuffs, had heard him. "'And then, when Chambers came at me about five minutes later—' "'What?' Ron said, stopping mid-sentence with a look at Harry's face. "'Why are you grinning?' "'I'm not,' said Harry quickly, looking down at his Transfiguration notes and attempting to straighten his face." The truth was that Ron had just reminded Harry forcibly of another Gryffindor Quidditch player who had once sat rumpling his hair under this very tree. I'm just glad we won, that's all. Yeah, <laughs> said Ron, savoring the words, we won. Did you see look on Chang's face when Ginny got the snitch right out from under her nose? I want to stop here because I thought this was kind of cool. Ginny uh, Jenny took the win away from Cho, just kind of like she does in real life. Not giving anything too far away, but... <laughs> You know, she, this is a little foreshadow of a little competition bef- between Ginny and Chang here, man. <laughs> so, um, so she goes, I suppose she cried, did she? Said Harry bitterly. Well, yeah, more out of temper than anything, though. But you saw her chuck her broom away when she got back to the ground, didn't you? Uh, said Harry. Well, actually, no, Ron. Said Hermione with a heavy sigh. and She put her book down and looked at him apologetically. As a matter of fact, the only bit of the match that Harry and I saw was Davy's first goal. Ron's carefully ruffled hair seemed to wilt with disappointment. "'You didn't watch?' he said, faintly looking from one to the other. "'You didn't see him make any of those saves?' "'Well, no,' said Hermione, stretching out a, a plaquettery hand towards him. "'But Ron, we didn't want to leave. "'We had to.' "'Yeah?' said Ron, whose face was growing rather red. "'How come?' "'It was Hagrid,' said Harry. "'He decided to tell us why he's been covered in injuries "'ever since he got back from the Giants. "'He wanted us to go into the forest with him, "'and we had no choice. "'You know how he gets. "'Anyways?' The story was told in five minutes, by the end of which Ron's indignation had been replaced by a look of total incredulity. He brought one back and hid it in the forest? Yep, said Harry grimly. No, said Ron, as though he, like saying by saying it, it could make it untrue. No, he can't have. Yeah. Well, he has, said Hermione firmly. Grobs about 16 feet tall, enjoys ripping up 20-foot pine trees, and knows me, she snorted, as Hermie. Ron <laughs> gave a nervous laugh. And Hagrid wants us to to teach him English, yeah. He's lost his mind, in an almost odd voice. Yes, said Hermione irritably, turning a page of intermediate transfiguration and glaring at a series of diagrams showing an owl turning into a pair of opera glasses. Yes, I'm starting to think he has, but unfortunately, he made a Harry and me promise. Well, you're just gonna have to break your promise, that's all, said Ron firmly. I mean, come on, we've got exams, we're about that far. He held up his hand to show a thumb and a forefinger a millimeter apart. From being chucked out as it is. And anyways, remember Norbert? Remember Aragod. Have we ever come off better from mixing with any of Hagrid's monster mates? I know, it's just that we promised," said Hermione in a small voice. Ron smoothed his flat hair flat again, looking preoccupied. Well, Hagrid hasn't been sacked yet, has he? He's hung on this long, maybe hung on to the end of term, and we won't have to go near Grop at all. And then... One more thing before I'll turn it over to Chase is... Uh, well, t- two more things, actually. Yeah, number one, the owls are creeping up, and Snape still hasn't been giving Harry a clemency classes. So the students are stressing out. We learn about Griselda Marchbanks, who is actually the head of the Wizarding Examination Authority. All these things are coming into play right when... Hagrid kind of drops the bombshell on him. So, honestly, isn't it a little bit rude of Hagrid to, like, just assume that these kids can handle that? They're in their hardest year of high school, and you're just <laughs> gonna drop on them this monumentous task when, number one, students aren't allowed in the Forbidden Forest as it is. Number two, Dumbledore Dumbledore's not there to, like, have their back. It's Umbridge's school right now. Like, Hagrid, like, that's a little bit selfish, my man. I'm sorry. Like, I like Hagrid, but I don't think he was thinking with this one, brother. And, uh... The other thing, too, is, like, in in page 707 to 708, people are trying to take advantage of fifth-year students panicking by selling brain stimulants. Uh, Borufio's brain elixir, for example. Also, (laughs) powdered Dragon Claw, which actually turned out to be dried doxy droppings. So, uh, that's a little gross. And then at that point, when they figured out what was actually being sold and that it was fake, they're like, you know what? Maybe these brain stimulants aren't for us. Because Harry and Ron were very, very close to actually purchasing that Borufio brain elixir, and Hermione, nice. like, snatched it and was like, no! So, that, that, with that, I'm going to turn it over to you, but that's a little bit of where, where we're getting started here today. Yeah, man. No, that's,
1: that's excellent stuff. And by the way, think about that. Like, one, these kids are in no place in their life to be taking care of a child. You literally set up an, a 16-foot child to be taking care of by two 15 and 16 year olds like thanks Hagrid you're really cool <laughs> <laughs> or during their biggest year of their life or right now during the worst week. time ever yeah like it's no big deal yeah just leave him here in the forest okay <laughs> like all right let's just act like he's not gonna go anywhere just throwing that out there the first thing I had uh just kind of jumping off where you were on page 707 draco malfoy (laughs) i actually saw a tiktok of the guy that plays draco and it was like someone had edited it and it was like him walking out with goyle and it said i'm the mother effing dog (laughs) that's crazy man but this part here i just love malfoy goes meanwhile draco malfoy had found a different way to induce panic of course it's not what you know he was he was heard to tell crab and goyle loudly outside potions A few days before the exam were to start. It's who you know. Now, father's been friendly with the head of the Wizarding Examinations Authority for years. Old Griselda Marchbanks, we've had her round for dinner and everything. (laughs) And then they go, (laughs) Hermione's talking to Harry. Do you think that's true? Hermione whispered to Harry and Ron looking frightened. Nothing we can do about it if it is, said Ron gloomily. I don't think it's true, said Neville quietly from behind them. Because Griselda Marchbanks is a friend of my grands, and she's never mentioned the Malfoys. And then this moment is a really powerful moment because this is the first time Neville has acknowledged St. Mungo's at that moment. Um, until then, so but typical Malfoy, I'm the mother effing dog. <laughs> typical man. Uh, so just going on from here um, in some of these bullet points. Um, so you hit the black market stuff perfect. Um, as far as then, right? So uh, about the black market thing you were talking about, remember Ron was like arguing uh, with Hermione about it. <laughs> and Hermione's like, you know, you shouldn't be, shouldn't be buying that stuff and being the typical uh, prefect. So um, on page uh, 709, this was cool. The Theory of Charms was scheduled for Monday morning. And then Hermione hit Harry with the Achievements of Charming Book. So we'll talk about that on Interesting Facts. Uh, Seamus um, was, was getting so intense for studying, like Seamus was lying flat on his back reciting definitions to the substantive uh, charm. And we'll talk about that in Interesting Facts as well. But um, Professor Marchbanks winds up telling Umbridge later on, if Dumbledore doesn't want to be found, he won't be found when Umbridge was um, basically saying, you know, she goes, examine him personally. Uh, She was on the lookout for him. And then Professor Marchbank said, I examined him personally in Transfiguration and Charms. And when he did the newts, um, he did things with his wand that I've never seen before. So it just goes on to kind of describe, you know, what the level of Dumbledore was that people really don't realize at this moment. Um, and, And I think... This is kind of an impactful moment. So Umbridge kind of brushes it off. But you have this lady that no one's ever met that's been there for years telling you this. Like, literally, Dumbledore was taking the owls for her. Like, don't you think she knows her stuff? Like, she's been there a while, is telling you this? Like, someone should take Dumbledore seriously. Like, he knows what he's doing.
0: Um, And with that, I'll shoot it back over to you, man. Awesome. And what I'll do is I'm just going to backtrack a little bit because there is something I mm-hmm. thought was important to talk about is like the anti-cheating charms that like McGonagall was talking about, and on yeah. back on page 708. You know, it's the she's "Now I must warn you: the most stringent anti-cheating charms have been applied to your examination papers. Auto-answer quills are bland, banned, as are rememberalls, detachable Caribbean cuffs, and self-correcting ink. And each year, I'm afraid to say, seems to have at least one student who thinks he can get around the Wizarding Examination authorities rules. I can only hope it's no one in Gryffindor." So. That's a little bit about you know the, the lengths they go to because in high school there was no really way to tell you know I'm not gonna lie in some of my region exams I might have taken an extra long peek at my neighbor next to me and just to see if we <laughs> were on the same page you know yeah, I remember like it's like it's funny because it was very similar to what they did they we had a big cafeteria and for our, our like, big tests at the end of the year for the SATs as well they took out the cafeteria things and put in desks just kind of like they did in the great hall and, uh, yeah. and, and that Harry Potter, so I thought that was kind of cool. But what I'm going to read now, I'm not going to go into detail about the plot hole because I'm going to wait till we get to our plot holes portion of this, but this mm-hmm. confirmed the plot hole I brought up back in Prisoner of Azkaban. And see if the, the listeners can follow along and kind of remember what I said about it. And, you know, I'll save my entire explanation from when we get to it. But right here it says... Um, However, that is no reason not to do your very best. You have your own futures to think about. Please, Professor, said Hermione, your hand in the air, when will we find out our results? An owl will be sent to you sometime in July, said Professor McGonagall. So I'm just going to leave you there with that one because something is a little shady about that from where we learn in, in Prisoner of Azkaban. And I wrote down the exact quote mm-hmm. there too. I'm back in that book and I made sure... And I wrote down the quote there. <laughs> so when we get to plot holes, guys, keep that in mind because your boy Jadenelli, you ain't gonna fool him. You ain't gonna slide that past me. Uh-uh, not today. <laughs> but, uh, not today. Yes. So the first exam, like you were talking about, is the. Th- <laughs> yeah, not today, sir or ma'am. I should say, J.K. Rowling. You ain't gonna slide that past <laughs> me. But no, uh, sir, not you know, just about today, what you were Josh. saying. Th- <laughs> oh, <that's great. laughs> no, sir. No, but, sir. But uh, the first exam is to be the theory of charms, and they're going to do the practical after the theory. And that's kind of like the way the exams are going to go. You're going to do the theory first, the practical next. And so mm-hmm. talk a little bit about uh, – well, you already mentioned, actually. You put this perfectly. I don't need to touch back on it. With Professor Marchbanks kind of going back and forth with Mrs. Uh, Dolores Umbridge talking about, like, you know, I was hoping to see Dumbledore. She's like, oh, well – you know, when is she's going to find him any day now? she's like, I don't think so. <laughs> like, that's pretty cool, though, that she, of all people, you know, if she's been doing that since Dumbledore has been in school, she had to have been grading a million students by this point in time. And she still remembers when Dumbledore specifically, one student, Dumbledore, took his newts, not the owls, the newts, the higher level at the end, and said he'd done things with a wand that she's never seen anyone else do. So kind of gives us another appreciation for Dumbledore's actual skill set that you know sometimes can go overlooked if you just you know because it's it's tough with him we get to see more of his abilities in the next book but up to this point we don't really see Dumbledore do a whole lot I mean last episode when I talked about that was pretty cool when he kind of incapacitated four ministry officials and like disappeared from his office like in a snap <laughs> that was cool but like if you think about it from Sorcerer's Stone to Chamber to Azkaban to goblet, he doesn't really do a whole lot like with a wand. Like you don't see him actually in a dire situation and what he's actually capable of as a wizard. I mean right. we start to see, you know, little bits and pieces. I think the first flash is when he like burst open in the imposter Moody's door and hit him with the the stupefied curse and put him out. But like anyone can really do that. But then we talk a little bit more like I said, what we talked about last week in Dumbledore's office. Then we start seeing a little bit more and then, you know, Next week, when we close out the book portion, Chase is going to go through a really awesome part where we get to see Dumbledore actually uh, show us what he can really do. Uh, I, won't, I won't give anything away there. But, uh, yeah, so now going to, to page 712, the charms exam begins. So I thought this was kind of cool because if we start talking about... I know Chase, a while back, was talking about the owls and say that he almost took one of the online tests on, like, oh, I don't know if it was Pottermore, another Harry Potter site... But he was like looking at some of the examination questions. Well, the first one was very, very easy uh, that they gave Harry here. So I'm just going to read the first (laughs) question. He said, Harry turned over his paper, heart thumping very hard. Three rows to his right, four seats ahead. Hermione was already scribbling. He lowered his eyes to the first question. Give the incantation and B, describe the wand movement required to make objects fly. And Harry he had a fleeting memory of a club soaring high into the air and landing loudly on the thick skull of a troll. And smiling slightly, he bent over the paper and began to write. So, just going to get exactly. If you guys can see what Chase just did, he just did the <laughs> swish and flick on the, on the YouTube video. I'm just giving you guys the, the audio of the visual that I'm seeing here, I sitting across from him. But he gave me the swish and flick, and it's Wingardium Leviosa. And that that's the, that's <laughs> troll, the incantation. Troll
1: in the dungeon. That's right.
0: Troll in the bathroom. So great, man. And then, uh, you know, then page 713, they tackle the practical portion of the charms exam. So I'm going to talk a little bit about that in just this last chat, last um, paragraph on page 713. On the whole, Harry thought it went rather well. His levitation charm was certainly much better than Malfoy's had been, though he wished he had not mixed up the incantations for color change and growth charms so that the rat he was supposed to be turning orange swelled shockingly, and was the size of a badger before Harry could rectify his mistake. He was glad Hermione had not been in the hall at that time, and neglected to mention to it afterwards. He could tell Ron, though, because Ron had actually caused a dinner plate to mutate into a large mushroom, had no idea how it happened. So now, we're through our charms exams, right? So, charms, the theory, and charms practical, out of the way. Knock that one out. Now, we're on to transfiguration. The transfiguration test... I'll read this, the second paragraph of what they did the next day here. He forgot the definition of a switching spell during the written exam the next morning, but he did think his practical could have gone a lot worse. At least he had managed to banish the whole of his iguana, where poor Hannah Abbott lost her head completely at the next table and somehow managed to multiply her ferret into a flock of flamingos, causing the examination <laughs> to be halted for ten minutes while the birds were captured and carried out of the hall. And so continue on page 714 right after so that's the written of where he forgot the switching spell definition that's the written portion of transfigurations and then he did the vanishing part very well for the practical part of transfigurations. Now we go into herbology on page 714. 714 uh, They had their herbology exam on Wednesday other than a small bite from a fang geranium. Harry felt that he had done reasonably well and then on Thursday defense against the dark arts Here, for the first time, Harry felt sure that he had passed. He had no problem with any of the written questions and took particular pleasure during the practical examination in performing all the counter jinxes and offensive spells right in front of Umbridge, who was watching coolly from near the doors in the entrance hall. Oh, bravo, cried Professor Tofty, who was examining Harry again when Harry demonstrated the perfect boggart banishing spell which, for you guys who are fans of the show, it's RIDICULOUS! Like us, <laughs> oh, the ridiculous yeah. crew. So, Our favorite here. 100%. Uh, he and said, very good indeed. Well, I think that's all, Potter. Unless he leaned forward a little. I heard from my dear friend, Tiberius Ogden, that you could produce a Patronus. For a bonus point? Harry raised he raises his wand, looked directly at Umbridge, and imagined her being sacked. Expecto Patronum! and his silver stag erupted at the end of his wand and cantered the length of the hall. All the examiners looked around to watch his progress, and when it dissolved into the of mist, Professor Tofty clapped his vain and knotty hands enthusiastically. Excellent. Very well, Potter. You may go. As he passed Umbridge beside the door, their eyes met. There was a nasty smile playing around her wide, slack mouth, but he did not care, because unless he was very much mistaken, and he was not planning on saying it to anybody in case he was, he had just received an outstanding owl. So now we've got Charms done, Transfiguration done, Herbology done, and Defense Against the Dark Arts done. That leaves only a couple ones left. Uh, so Friday, actually, Harry and Ron had off, but Hermione had to sit the Ancient Runes exam. She's done with that. And then uh, I'm going to go ahead and, and the third the third and fourth paragraph on page 716. Uh, Hermione's bad mood... Persisted for most of the weekend, though Harry and Ron found it quite easy to ignore as they spent most of Saturday and Sunday studying for potions on Monday, the exam to which Harry was looking forward to least, and when he was sure would be the one that would be the downfall of his ambitions to become an orrer. Sure enough, he found the written exam difficult, though he thought he might have gotten full marks on the question about Polyjuice potion because he could describe its effects extremely accurately, having taken it illegally in his second year. The afternoon practical was not as dreadful as he expected it to be. With Snape absent from the proceedings, he found that he was much more relaxed than usual while making his potions. And Neville, who was sitting very near Harry, also looked happier than Harry had ever seen him during a potions class. When Professor Marchbanks said, Step away from your cauldrons, please. The examination is over. Harry corked his sample flask, feeling that he might not have achieved a good grade, but that he had, with any luck, avoided a fail. Only four exams left, Parvati Patel said wearily as they headed back to the Gryffindor Common Room. So. The next one was Care of Magical Creatures. Okay. So Care of Magical Creatures, uh, the practical exam took place in the afternoon on the lawn in the edge of the Forbidden Forest where they were required to correctly identify the gnarl hidden among a dozen hedgehogs and the trick was to offer them all milk in turn. Gnarles, who are highly suspicious creatures who quills uh, had many magical properties generally went berserk at what they saw as an attempt to poison them and then demonstrate the correct handling of a bow chuckle feed it and clean a fire crab without sustaining serious burns, and choose from a wide selection of food and diet what they would give to a sick unicorn. And now, we're going to have our last two examinations. The astronomy theory exam on Wednesday morning went well enough. You know, Harry was not convinced he got all the names of Jupiter's moons right, but he was confident that none of them were inhabited by mice, because it's supposed to be lice. If you guys remember that, that's a full circle moment. And they had to wait until the evening for their practical astronomy so that afternoon they devoted to divination and even by Harry's low standard in divination the exam went very badly he might as well have tried to see moving pictures in the desktop as in the stubbornly blank crystal ball he lost his head completely during a tea leaf reading saying it him as though Professor Mark Banks would be shortly meeting a round dark soggy stranger and he rounded off the whole fiasco by mixing up the life and headlines on her palm informing her that she ought to have died the previous Tuesday and even Ron says you know we were always going to fail that one uh, you know, But he had just made Harry feel better because he told uh, Harry about, like he said, in his crystal ball he saw an ugly man with a wart in the nose only to realize it was the examiner's <laughs> reflection. So that so was embarrassing. really funny. Um, and now with that I'm actually going to turn it over to Chase and let him go ahead and kind of take it from here with the final uh, two examinations that we'll talk about and there's some big things that happened so I'll let Chase kind of pick it up from page 718 and do his darn thing through the rest of this chapter
1: yeah man uh um by the way to uh back when we were talking about i guess it was probably chamber of secrets was when we were talking about the exams the two i took so i took um charms so i actually passed charms surprisingly uh but it was potions that was just a mother <laughs> i thought i could pass it and then i, I mean the only way you can Pass it, I think, is if you really study for it. But it had some crazy crap. Even, I think, the final two questions. I took this on Pottermore.com, if it's still there. Um, And I think the final two questions on charms were really hard because it was all about, um, like, uh, I, I I don't know if it was, like, counter charms or something like that and engorgement charms and all of that. And it was, like, explain the incantation just like it was saying Explain the exact like verbiage and what's the difference of the verbiage it was it was tough man i thought i could go in there and ace it i think i i think i passed with the d for dreadful dreadful (laughs) like i think is what i got on that one well there's only uh, three
0: passing grades so if you got a d you failed it so it's only probably for outstanding (laughs) e for exceeds expectations and a for acceptable those are three passing grades then there's P for poor, D for dreadful, T for troll. So if you got D, that was like the second <laughs> worst grade day, you could ever man, get. Sad day.
1: Then again, my defense, I took this when we went over Sorcerer's Stone or Chamber of Secrets. I could probably pass with a maybe you know, as long as I have those answers in front of me, baby. Fuck yeah. <laughs> That's terrible. Hey, Malice in the Chalice, by the way. Good Cheers, stuff, buddy. man. Yeah. Cheers. Biggest my arc. Guy biggest book on the biggest arc making it three man so uh 718 did you tell him what the final two exams were
0: yeah so you're gonna be on 718 talking about the like the second line there with the dialogue where it says we shouldn't have taken the stupid subject in the first place take it from there to the end of the chapter man because this is where it gets real real hairy (laughs) <laughs> it does it does <laughs> that was you're
1: so punny man <laughs> <laughs> that was great yeah <laughs> that was awesome couldn't be better okay so we shouldn't have taken the stupid subject in the first place said harry still at least we can give it up now yeah said harry no more pretending we can care what happens when jupiter and uranus get too friendly and from now on i don't care if my tea leaves spell die Ron, die. I'm just chucking them in the bin where they belong. Harry laughed just as Hermione came running up behind them. He stopped laughing at once in case it annoyed her. Well, I think I've done all right in the she said, and Harry and Ron both sighed with relief, just in time for a quick look over our star charts before dinner then. When they reached the top of the astronomy tower at 11 o'clock, they found a perfect night for stargazing. Cloudless and still... The grounds were bathed in silvery moonlight, and there was a slight chill in the air. Each of them set up his or her telescope, and when Professor Marchbanks gave the word, proceeded to fill in the blank uh, star charts he or she had been given. Professor Marchbanks and Tofty strolled among them, watching as they entered the precise positions of the stars and the planets they were observing. All was quiet except for the rustle of parchment, the occasional creak of his telescope, "'as it was adjusted on its stand "'and the scribbling of many quills. "'Half an hour passed, then an hour, "'and the little squares of reflected gold "'flickering on the ground below "'started to vanish as lights in the castle "'windows were extinguished. "'As Harry completed the constellation Orion "'on his chart,' we'll mention that "'in our Interesting Facts episode "'on uh, uh, Wednesday. "'However, the front doors of the castles "'opened directly below the parquet "'where he was standing.' So that light spilled down the stone steps a little way across the lawn. Harry glanced down as he made a slight adjustment to the position of the telescope and saw five or six elongated shadows moving over the brightly lit grass before the doors swung shut and the lawn became a sea of darkness once more. Harry put his eye back into to his telescope and refocused it, now examining Venus. He looked down at his chart and entered the planet there, but something distracted him. Pausing with his quill suspended over the parchment, he squinted down into the shadowy grounds and saw a half a dozen figures walking over the lawn. If they had not been moving, and the moonlight had not been gliding up the top of their heads, they would have been indistinguishable. From the dark ground on which stood, even at the distance, Harry had a funny feeling that he recognized the walk of the squattest among them, who seemed to be leading the group. He could not think, Why, Umbridge! would be taking a stroll outside past midnight, much less accompanied by five others. Then somebody coughed behind him, and he remembered that he was halfway through the exam. He had quite forgotten Venus's position. Jamming his eye to his telescope, he found it again and was again on the point of entering it. On his chart, when alert for any odd sound, he heard a distinct knock that echoed through the desert grounds, followed immediately by the muffled barking of a large dog. He looked up. "'his heart hammering. "'There were lights on Hagrid's windows, "'and the people he had observed crossing the lawn "'were now silhouetted among them, against them. "'The door opened, and he distinctly saw six tiny "'but sharply defined figures walk over the threshold. "'The door closed again, and there was silence. Harry felt uneasy. "'He glanced around to see whether Ron or Hermione "'had noticed what he had, "'but Professor Marchbanks came walking behind him "'at the moment and not wanting to appear as though... He was sneaking looks at anyone else. He hastily bent over her, his star chart and pretended to be adding notes to it while really peering over the top of the parfait, uh, today towards Hagrid's cabin. Figures were now moving across the cabin windows, temporarily blocking the light. He could feel Professor Marchbank's eyes on the back of his neck and pressed his, eyes, his eye against his, to his telescope. Staring up at the moon, though he had marked its position an hour ago but as professor Marchbanks moved on he had heard a roar from the distant cabin that echoed through the darkness right to the top of the astronomy tower several of the people around harry ducked out from behind their telescopes and peered instead in the direction of hagrid's cabin professor tofty gave another dry little cough try and concentrate now boys and girls he said softly most people returned to their telescopes harry looked to his left hermione was gazing transfixed at hagrid's hum, uh-huh. 20 minutes to go, said Professor Tofty. Hermione jumped and returned at once to her start chart. Harry looked down at his own and noticed that he had mis- mislabeled Venus as Mars. He bent to correct it. There was a loud bang from the ground. Several people said, ouch, as they poked themselves in the face with the ends of their telescopes, hastening to see what was going on below. Hagrid's door had burst open, and by the light flooding out of the cabin, they saw him quite clearly, a massive figure roaring and brandishing his fist, surrounded by six people, all of whom, judging by the tiny threads of red light they were casting in his direction, seemed to be attempting to stun him. "'No!' cried Hermione. "'My dear!' said Professor Tofty in a scandalized voice. "'This is an examination!' But nobody was paying the slightest attention to their star charts anymore." Jets of red light were still flying beside Hagrid's cabin, yet somehow they seemed to be bouncing off of him. He was still upright and still, as far as Harry could see, fighting. Cries and yells echoed across the grounds. A man yelled, Be reasonable, Hagrid! And Hagrid roared, Reasonable, be damned! You won't take me like this, Dollish! Harry could see that the tiny outline of Fang attempting to defend Hagrid leaping at the wizard surrounding him until a stunning spell caught him and he fell to the ground. Hagrid gave a howl of fury, lifted the culprit bodily from the ground, and he threw him. The man flew what looked like ten feet and did not get up again. Hermione gasped, but both hands over her mouth. Harry looked around at Ron and saw that he too was looking scared. None of them had ever seen Hagrid in real temper before. "'Look!' squealed Pavardi, who was leaning over her parpe and pointing to the foot of the castle where the front doors seemed to have opened again. More light had spilled out onto the dark lawn, and in single long black shadows was now rippling across the lawn. "'Now, really!' said Professor Toffley anxiously. "'Only sixteen minutes left, you know!' But nobody paid him slightest attention. They were watching the person now sprinting towards the battle besides Hagrid's cabin. "'How dare you!' the figure shouted as she ran. "'How dare you!' "'It's McGonagall!' whispered Hermione. "'Leave him alone!' alone i say said professor mcgonagall's voice through the darkness on what grounds are you attacking him he has done nothing nothing to warrant such hermione Pavardi, and lavender all screamed no fewer than four stunners had shot from figures around the cabin toward professor mcgonagall halfway between the cabin and the castle the red beams collided with her for a moment she looked luminous illuminated by the eerie red glow then was lifted right off her feet landed hard on her back and moved no more Galloping gargoyles! shouted Professor Tofty, who seemed to have forgotten the exam completely. Not so much as a warning! Outrageous behavior! Cowards! bellowed Hagrid, his voice carrying clearly to the top of the tower, and several lights flickered back on the inside of the castle. Ruddy cowards! Have some of that! And that! Oh my! gasped Hermione. Hagrid took two massive swipes at his closest attackers. Judging by their immediate collapse, they had been knocked cold. Harry saw him doubled over by the thought of, the moment, of a movement that he had finally been overcome by a spell. But on the contrary, contrary next moment, next moment, Hagrid was standing again with what appeared to be a sack on his back, when Harry realized that Fang's limp body was draped around his shoulders. Get him! Get him! screamed Umbridge, but her remaining helper seemed highly reluctant to go, within reach of Hagrid's fists. Indeed, he was backing away so fast he tripped over one of the unconscious colleagues and fell over. Hagrid had turned and begun to run with the fang still hung around his neck. Umbridge sent one last stunning spell after him but missed, and Hagrid, running full pelt towards the distant gates, disappeared into the darkness. There was a long minute's quivering silence, everybody gazing open-mouthed in the grounds. into the grounds. Then Professor Tofty's voice said, feebly. Um five minutes to go, everybody. Though he had only filled in two thirds of his chart, Harry was desperate for the end of the exam. When it came at last, Hiron he, and Hermione forced their telescopes half had half half hazardly back in their holders, and dashed back down the spiral staircase. None of the students were going to bed. They were all talking loudly and excitedly at the foot of the stairs about what they had witnessed. That evil woman gasped hermione who seemed to be having difficulty talking due to rage trying to sneak up on hagrid in the dead of night she clearly wanted to avoid another scene like tree said her ernie Macmillan, sagely squeezing over to join them hagrid did well didn't he said ron who looked more alarmed than impressed how come all their spells bounced off him it'll be his giant's blood said hermione shakily it's very hard to stun a giant they're like trolls really tough but poor Professor McGonagall four stunners straight in the chest she's not exactly young is she dreadful dreadful said Ernie shaking his head pompously well I'm off to bed night all people around them were drifting away still talking excitedly about what they had just seen at least they didn't get to take Hagrid off to Azkaban said Ron I expect he's gone to join Dumbledore, hasn't he I suppose so, said Hermione, who looked tearful. Oh, this is awful. I really thought Dumbledore would be back before long, but now we've lost Hagrid, too? The traipsed back to the gryffindor Commodore room to find it full. The commotion out in the grounds had woken several people, who had hastened to rouse their friends. Seamus and Dean, who had arrived ahead of Harry, Ron, and Hermione, were now telling everyone what they had heard from the top of the astronomy tower. But why sack Hagrid now, asked Angelina Johnson, shaking her head. It's not like Trelawney. He's been teaching much better than usual this year. Umbridge hates part humans, said Hermione bitterly, flopping down into an armchair. She was always going to try and get Hagrid out. And she thought Hagrid was putting Nifflers in her office, piped up Katie Bell. Oh, blimey, said Lee Jordan, covering his mouth. It's me been putting Nifflers in her office. Fred and George left me a couple. I've been levitating them in through her window. She'd have sacked him anyways, said Dean. He was too close to Dumbledore. That's true, said Harry, sinking into an armchair beside Hermione's. I just hope Professor McGonagall is all right, said Lavender tearfully. They carried her back up to the castle. We watched through the dormitory window, said Colin Creevy. She didn't look very well. "'Madame Pomfrey will sort her out,' said Alicia Spinnet firmly. "'She's never failed yet.' It was nearly four in the morning before the common room cleared. Harry felt wide awake. The image of Hagrid sprinting away into the dark was haunting him. He was so angry with Umbridge, he could not think of a punishment bad enough for her. Enough through Ron's suggestions of having her fed to a box of starving blast-ended scroots had its merits. He fell asleep contemplating hideous revenges and arose from the bed three hours later feeling distinctly unrested. Their final exam, History of Magic, was not to take place until that afternoon. Harry would very much have liked to go back to bed after breakfast, but he had been counting on the morning for a spot of the last minute studying. So instead, he sat with his head in his hands by the common room window, trying hard not to doze off as he read through some of the notes, stacked three and a half feet high that Hermione had lent him. The fifth years entered the Great Hall at two o'clock and took their places in front of their overturned examination papers. Harry felt exhausted. He just wanted this to be over, so that he'd go to sleep. Then tomorrow, he and Ron were going to go down to the Quidditch pitch. He was going to have a fly on Ron's broom and savor their freedom from studying. "'Turn over your papers,' said Professor Marchbanks from the front of the hall, flicking over giant hour, over the giant hourglass. "'You may begin.' Harry stared fixedly at the first question. It was several seconds before it occurred to him that he had not taken in a word of it. There was a wasp buzzing distractedly against one of the high windows. Slowly, torturously, he began to write an answer. He was finding it very difficult to remember names and kept confusing dates. He simply skipped question four. In your opinion, did one legislation contribute to or lead to a better control of goblin riots of the 18th century thinking that he would go back to it if he had time in the end he had a stab at question five how was the statue of secrecy breached in 1749 and what measures were introduced to prevent a recurrence but had a nagging suspicion that he had missed several important points he had a feeling vampires had come into the story somewhere he looked ahead for a question he could definitely answer and his eyes alighted upon number 10 Describe the circumstances that led to the Fountain of International Confederation of Wizards and explain why the warlocks of Liechtenstein refused to join. I know this, Harry thought, though his brain felt torpid and slack. He could visualize a heading in Hermione's handwriting. The formation of the International Confederation of Wizards. He had read these notes only this morning. He began to write, looking up now and again to check the large hourglass on the desk beside Professor Marchbanks. He was sitting right behind Pavardy Patil, whose long dark hair fell below the back of his chair, her chair. Once or twice, he found himself staring at the tiny golden lights that glistened in it when she moved her head very slightly and had to give his own head a little shake to clear it. The first supreme mugwump of the International Confederation of Wizards was Pierre Bonacord, but his appointment was contested by the wizarding community of Liechtenstein because all around Harry's Harry Quills were scratching on apartments like scurrying burrowing burrowing rats. The sun was very hot on the back of their head of his head. What was uh, what was it that Bonacord had done to offend wizards of Lichtenstein? Harry had a feeling it had something to do with trolls. He gazed blankly on the back of Pavardi's head again, if he could only perform legulimacy and open a window in the back of her head and see what it was about trolls that had caused the breach between Pierre Bonacord and Lichtenstein. Harry closed his eyes and buried his face in his hands, so that the glowing red of his eyelids grew dark and cool. Bonacord had wanted to stop troll hunting and give the troll rights, but Lichtenstein was having problems with the tribe of particularly vicious mountain trolls. That was it. He opened his eyes, they stung and watered, at the sight of the blazing white parchment. Slowly he wrote two lines about the trolls, then read through what he had done so far. It did not seem very informative or detailed, yet he was sure Hermione's notes on the confederation had gone on for pages and pages. He closed his eyes again, trying to see them, trying to remember. The confederation had met for the first time in France, yes. He had written that already goblins had tried to attend and be outstead he had written that too and nobody from lichenstein had wanted to come think he told himself his face in his hands while all around him cool scratched out never-ending answers and the sand trickled through the hourglass at the front he was walking along the cool dark corridor to the department of mysteries again walking with a firm and purposeful trend breaking occasionally into a run determined to reach his destination at last the black door swung open for him as usual and here he was in the circular room with its many doors straight across the stone floor and through the second door patches of dancing light on the walls and floors and that odd mechanical clicking but no time to explore he must hurry he jogged the last few feet to the third door which swung open just like the others Once again, he was in the cathedral sized room full of shelves and glass spheres. His heart was beating fast now. He was going to get there this time. When he reached number 97, he turned left and hurried along the aisle between two rows. But there was a shape on the floor at the very end, a black shape, moving upon the floor like a wounded animal. Harry's stomach contracted with fear, with excitement. A voice issued from his own mouth, a high, cold voice, empty of any human kindness. "'Take it for me. Lift it down. Now I cannot touch it, but you can.' The black shape upon the floor shifted a little. Here he saw a long-fingered white hand clutching a wand rise on the end of his own arm, heard the high, cold voice say, Crucio! The man on the floor let out a scream of pain, attempted to stand, but fell back, writhing. Harry was laughing. He raised his wand, the curse lifted, and the figure groaned and became motionless. Lord Voldemort is waiting. Very slowly, his arms trembling, the man on the ground raised his shoulders a few inches and lifted his head. His face was bloodstained and gaunt, "'twisted in pain, yet rigid with defiance. "'You'll have to kill me,' whispered Sirius. "'Undoubtedly, I shall, in the end,' said the cold voice. "'But you will fetch it for me first, Black. "'You think you have felt pain thus far? "'Think again. "'We have hours ahead of us, and nobody to hear you scream.' "'But somebody screamed as Voldemort lowered his wand again,' Somebody yelled and fell sideways off a hot desk onto the cold stone floor. Harry hit the ground and awoke, still yelling, his scar on fire as the Great Hall erupted all around him. (sighs) Crazy stuff, man. Here Harry is dozing off on exams and studying again. (laughs) Yeah, man, but um, this is a pretty powerful moment, especially at the end there, I'll say. Um, a lot of wild stuff that's going to play into a big role, especially towards the end of this episode, And uh, which is, you know, this is your boy. So that's your, uh, you know, you're going to be tracking down our, your boy here, and it's um pretty scary moment. But uh, And it was cool, like all the moments with the test, just because um, for the interesting facts episode, you'll see some of those there. Um, actually it was funny because Lichtenstein I mentioned on our last interesting facts episode a lot of people didn't know in 2014 they played or I guess it was two weeks ago in 2014 they played the United States of America in the Quidditch World Cup and the US won well one of the only Quidditch World Cup finals US has ever had but um, yeah man with that I think that's a pretty powerful moment there especially that dream which is going to set the course for this
0: whole episode here and I'm going to let you take it away from here man for sure, and chapter thirty-two, out of the fire, is going to be another one of those long ones where I'm pretty much going to read the full chapter. But I want to talk a little bit about what we just read too, because it wasn't just the last dream that Harry had. Because keep in mind, guys, he's had these visions before. Obviously, back in Christmas time, he saw Arthur Weasley in the same type of dream get attacked by the snake, and actually ended up saving Arthur's life. So Harry kind of knows the difference between a regular dream and like almost like a vision, I guess I'll say. So. Really? This is, this is going to come up big to play, and we're going to find out why exactly Dumbledore was pushing so hard for Harry to learn a clumency very, very shortly. But on top of that, I do want to talk a little bit about Hagrid and uh, McGonagall and their little fight with like the Ministry officials and Umbridge. <laughs> like, can this guy Dawlish? He's he's had a bad book, man. He got thrown up by Dumbledore in Dumbledore's office. He got knocked <laughs> out by Hagrid. Like, he's not having a good book either, but. You know, it, 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 to me it was crazy cuz think about Hagrid, you've always seen him as like a docile, very good-natured, kind guy. Never really seen him mad mad. Well, now we got to see what happens when Hagrid's not happy. He <laughs> like he knocked out four ministry officials without even using a wand, and they were just shooting like a bunch of stunning spells after him on, on him like one after another, and these guys aren't like weak wizards, they're full-fledged aurors. And they're hitting him oh, with yeah. full-blown stunning spells, and they're just bouncing off him. And he keeps grabbing one guy, threw him ten feet, swiped the other guy, knocked him. right. Like, scared the last person so bad, he tripped over his fallen comrade. Like, but then on top of that, think about this. And I know it's going to come up here in a second. And I'm going to read this this passage, but you know, Professor McGonagall is very, very skilled as a witch, and they they blindsided her at her age, with four stunning spells to her chest when she was just shouting, and they turned around didn't even give her a chance to, like, do anything. They all just shot him right at her, and, like, four stunning spells hit her in the chest and, like, knocked her out cold, and, you know, she's no spring chicken, so, you know, that's like, you know, getting a defibrillator to the chest at age 70, man. Like, that's dangerous. So, uh, we're gonna find out a little bit what happens there, but those are just two big things that happen. Not only the dream that we're about to see, uh, how that turns out, but also... You know that little fight in the night with uh, Hagrid from the Astronomy Crazy, Tower. Man. So, it's nice. Say something about that. Yeah, absolutely. Sorry,
1: not to interrupt you. Yeah. That- uh, all I was going to say, it would have been cool if she wrote it in the book. I wish he would have, like, brought out his umbrella and started using it. Maybe we could have confirmed some things there if he had started, like,
0: defending spells with that umbrella. I that don't think he's skilled sick. enough, man. I, I think he, I think they did it right by not allowing him any sort of magic because, like, remember his wand got snapped yeah. in his third year, which, you know, to me, if you're not learning any magic after the third year, you probably still don't know very much about, like, defensive spells and things like that so for me i think it was much more true to form to like have him just be a savage giant in berserker mode like i'll take you all out with my bare fists i won't even worry about these wands i'm gonna show you what i can do without the wands man that's i think they did it right man he crushed it yeah literally (laughs) the
1: irony (laughs) there yeah it was so funny yeah man and with that i'll let
0: you take it to uh probably one of the biggest chapters in the book for sure 100 percent and, uh, so we'll, we we'll kind of get to this part where Harry kind of wakes up from his little episode he just had where he had that dream about Sirius with Voldemort. And, um, you know, he, he tells like the wizard, Professor Tofty that, you know, he was just a nightmare and, you know, he's like, well, do you like to, uh, continue your, your examination? He's like, nope, I've done as much as I could. And, and it's smart too. Cause like history of Magic's not a, uh, not a subject he needs to continue for his career path. So who cares if he fails this one? It doesn't matter. Right. Yeah. So he's like, well, I think you need to go to the hospital wing. And Harry's like, yeah, I'll do that. Thanks very much. And so he runs, bursts into the hospital wing and, like, demands to see Professor McGonagall. And this is, uh, this is what, he, the, the, what I was talking about when I said, like, they really hold Professor McGonagall into high respect here. She goes, this is Madame Pomfrey speaking, because this is when Harry bar- bursts into the hospital wing. Uh, Potter, what do you think you're doing? Asked Madame Pomfrey. I need to see Professor McGonagall, gasped Harry, the breath tearing in his lungs. Now, it's urgent. She's not here, Potter, said Madame Pomfrey sadly. She was transferred to St. Mungo's this morning. Four stunning spells straight to her chest at her age? It's a wonder they didn't kill her. She's gone, said Harry's son. The bell just rang outside the dormitory, and he heard the usual distant rumbles of students starting to flood out into the corridors above and below him. He remained quite still looking at Madame Pomfrey, terrorizing inside him. There was nobody left to tell. Dumbledore had gone, Hagrid had gone, but he had always expected Professor McGonagall to be there. irascible and flexible, perhaps, but always dependably, solidly present. I don't wonder why you're shocked, Potter, said Madame Pomfrey with a fierce approval in her face, as if one of them could have stunned Minerva McGonagall to her face by daylight. Cowardice, that's what it was. Despicable cowardice. If I wasn't worried about what would happen to you students without me, I'd resign in protest. Yes, he wheeled around and strode blindly from the hospital wing to the teeming corridor. Where he stood, buffeted, buffeted by the crowd. The panic rising inside him like poison gas, so that his head swam, and he could not think what to do. I want to talk right there, so she and Madame Pomfrey's like none of them could have done that to McGonagall's face by daylight if she was ready, because they hold her abilities in high esteem. And like I mentioned before, one of my favorite moments in the actual films, which I don't give the film a ton of praise. One of the, my favorite moments on screen was a little moment with uh, McGonagall and Snape, and it's pretty cool to kind of see her abilities. And uh, I'll leave that there, but I'll go ahead and continue on. Uh, that's Ron uh, from, talk, that's yeah. uh, in the future, man. Yeah. that's good stuff, though. I I'm stoked for that
1: we'll be there. Uh, <laughs> hold on to your chairs. It's gonna be a minute before we're at that moment, but that's an awesome moment. By one hundred
0: percent, dude. Like it's it's just. It shows what we kind of already expected. You know, she just seems like the kind of person who is you know, almost like, Harry said it perfectly, you know, she's just dependable and just there always. Like, you know, she's just, she's this wiry strong, man. But continue on. Deron uh, Hermione said a voice in his head. He was running again, pushing students out of the way, oblivious to their angry protests and shouts. He sprinted back down two floors and was at the top of the marble staircase when he saw them hurrying towards him. "'Harry!' Hermione said, at once, looking frightened. "'What happened? Are you right? Are you ill?' "'Where have you been?' demanded Ron. "'Come with me,' said Harry quickly. "'Come on. I've got to tell you something.' "'He led them along the first-floor corridor, peering through a doorway, "'and at last found an empty classroom into which he dived, "'closed the door behind Ron and Hermione the moment they were aside, "'and, leaning against it, faced them. "'Voldemort's got serious.' "'What? How do you—' "'I saw it. Just now, when I fell asleep in the exam.' "'But—but but where? "'How?' said Hermione, whose face was white. I don't know how, said Harry, but I know exactly where. There's a room in the Department of Mysteries full of shelves covered in these little glass balls, and they're at the end of row ninety seven. He's trying to use Sirius to get whatever it is he wants from in there. He's torturing him, and says he'll end up by killing he'll end by killing him. Harry found his voice was shaking, as were his knees. He moved over to a desk and sat down, trying to master himself. How are we gonna get there? he asked them. There was a moment's silence, and Ron said get there Get to the Department of Mystery so we can rescue Sirius, Harry said loudly. But Harry, said Ron weakly. What? What? He could not understand why they were both gaping at him as though he was asking something unreasonable. Harry, said Hermione in a rather frightened voice. Uh, how, how did Voldemort get into the Ministry of Magic without anybody realizing he was there? How do I know, bellowed Harry. The question is how we are going to get in there. But Harry, think about this said Hermione, taking a step towards him. It's five o'clock in the afternoon. The Ministry of Magic must be full of workers. How would Voldemort and Sirius have gotten in without being seen? Harry, they're probably the two most wanted wizards in the world. You think they could get into a building full of Aurors undetected? I don't know. Voldemort used an invisibility cloak or something. Anyway, the Department of Mysteries has always been completely empty whenever I've been. You've never been there, Harry, said Hermione quietly. You've dreamed about the place. That's all. They're not normal dreams. Harry shouted in her face, standing up, taking a step closer. In turn, he wanted to shake her. How do you explain to Ron's dad then? What was all that about? How come I knew what happened to him? He's got a point," said Ron quietly, looking at Hermione. "But this is just, just so unlikely," said Hermione desperately. Harry, how on earth could Voldemort have gotten a hold of Sirius when he's been in Grimmauld Place all the time? Sirius might have cracked and just wanted some fresh air," said Ron, sounding worried. He's been desperate to get out of that house for ages, but why? Hermione persisted. Why on earth would Voldemort want to use Sirius to get the weapon? Whatever the thing is, I don't know. There could be loads of reasons. Harry yelled at her. Maybe Sirius is just someone Voldemort doesn't care about seeing hurt. You know what? I've just thought of something," said Ron in a hushed voice. Sirius's brother was a Death Eater, wasn't he? Maybe he told Sirius the secret of how to get the weapon. Yeah, and that's why Dumbledore's been so keen to keep Sirius locked up all the time," said Harry in return. Look, I'm sorry, cried Hermione But neither of you are making any sense We've got no proof of any of this No proof Voldemort or Sirius are even there Hermione, Harry's seen them Said Ron, rounding on her Okay, looking frightened yet determined I've just got to say this What? You, this isn't criticism, Harry But you do sort of I mean, don't you think you've got a bit of a A saving people thing? He glared at her And what's that supposed to mean, a saving people thing? Well, you... She looked more apprehensive than ever. I mean, last year, for instance, in the lake, during the tournament, you shouldn't have. I mean, you didn't need to save that Delacour girl. You got a bit... carried away. A wave of hot, prickly anger swept Harry's body. How could she remind him of that blunder now? I mean, it was really great of you and everything, said Hermione, quickly looking positively petrified at the look on Harry's face. Everyone thought it was a wonderful thing to do. That's funny. That's funny said Harry through gritted teeth, because I definitely remember Ron saying I'd wasted my time acting the hero. Is that what you think this is? You reckon I want to act the hero again? No, 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 said Hermione looking to guess. That's not what I meant at all. Well, spit out what you gotta say because we're wasting time here. I'm trying to say, Voldemort knows you, Harry. He took Ginny down into the Chamber of Secrets to lure you there. It's the kind of thing he does. He knows you're the, the sort of person who'd go to Sirius's aid. What if he's just trying to get you into the Department of Miss Hermione? It doesn't matter if he's done it to get me there or not. They've taken him to the Galleon to St Mungo's. There isn't anyone left from the Order at Hogwarts we can tell. And if we don't go, Sirius is dead. But Harry, what if your dream was was just that, a dream? Harry let out a roar of frustration, and Hermione actually stepped back in front of him, like uh, back from him, looking alarmed. You don't get it, Harry shouted at her. I'm not having nightmares. I'm not just dreaming. What do you think all the inclemency was for? Why do you think Dumbledore wanted me prevented from seeing these things? Because they're real, Hermione. Sirius is trapped. I've seen him, Voldemort's got him, and no one else knows. And that means we're the only ones who can save him. And if you don't want to do it, fine. But I'm going, understand? And if I remember rightly, you didn't have a problem with my saving people thing when it was you I was saving for Dementors. Or, he rounded on Ron, when it was your sister I was saving from the Basilisk. I never said I had a problem, said Ron heatedly. But Harry, you've just said it. He said, uh, Hermione fiercely, Dumbledore wanted you to learn to shut these things out of your mind. If you'd done a community properly, really, you'd never have seen this. If you think I'm just going to act like I haven't seen... Sirius told you there was nothing more important than learning to close your mind. Well, I expect he'd say something different if he knew what I just... And the classroom door open. Harry, Ron, and Hermione whipped around. Ginny walked in looking curious, closely followed by Luna, who... As usual, it looked as though she had drifted in accidentally. "'Hi,' said Jenny uncertainly. "'We recognized Harry's voice. Uh, what are you yelling about?' "'Never you mind,' said Harry roughly, and Jenny raised her eyebrows. Well, "'There's no need to take that tone with me,' she said coolly. "'I was only wondering whether I could help.' "'Well, you can't,' said Harry shortly. "'You're being rather rude, you know,' said Luna serenely. Harry swore and turned away. "'The very last thing he wanted to do now was have a conversation with Luna Lovegood.' Wait, said Hermione Hermione suddenly. Wait, Harry, they can help. Harry and Ron looked at her. Listen, she said urgently. Harry, we need to establish whether Sirius really left his headquarters. I told you I saw Harry. I'm begging you, please, said Hermione desperately. Please, let's just check that Sirius isn't at home before we go charging off to London. If we find out he's not there, then I swear I won't try and stop you. I'll come. I'll do whatever it takes to try and save him. Sirius is being tortured now, shouted Harry. We haven't got time to waste. But if this is a trick of Voldemort, Harry, we've got to check. We've got to. How, demanded Harry. How are we going to check? We'll have to use the Umbridge's fire and see if we can contact him, said Hermione, who looked positively terrified at the thought. We'll draw Umbridge away again, but we'll need lookouts and that's where we can use Ginny and Luna. Though clearly struggling to understand what was going on, Ginny said immediately, yeah, we'll do it. And Luna said, When you say serious, are you talking about stubby (laughs) Boardman?" Nobody answered her. Okay, said uh, Harry aggressively to Hermione. Okay, if you can think of a way of doing this quickly, I'm with you. Otherwise, I'm going to the Department of Mysteries right now. The Department of Mysteries, said Luna, looking mildly surprised. But how are you going to get there? Again, Harry ignored her. Right, said Hermione, twisting her hands together and pacing up and down between the desks. right. Well, one of us has to go and find Umbridge and send her off in the wrong direction and keep her away from her office. They could tell her, I don't know, that Peeves is up to something awful as usual. I'll do it, said Ron at once. I'll tell her Peeves is smashing up the Transfiguration Department or something. It's miles from her office. Come to think of it, I could probably persuade Peeves to do it if I met him on the way. It was a mark of the seriousness of the situation that Hermione made no objection to the smashing up of the Transfiguration Department. Okay, she said her brow furrowed as she continued to pace. Now, we need to keep students away from her office while we force entry, or some Slytherin's bound to go and tip her off. Luna and I can stand at the end of the corridor, said Ginny promptly, and warn people not to go down there because someone's letting off a load of garroting gas. Hermione looked surprised at the readiness with Ginny had come up with this how she had come up with this lie. Ginny shrugged and said, Fred and George were planning to do it before they left. "'Okay,' said Hermione. "'Well then, Harry, you and I will be under the invisibility cloak, "'and we'll sneak into the office, and you can talk to Sirius.' "'He's not there, Hermione. "'I mean, you can check whether Sirius is at home or not while I keep watch. "'I don't think you should be in there alone. Lee's already proved the window is a weak spot, sending those Nifflers through it.' "'Even through his anger and impatience, "'Harry recognized Hermione's offer to accompany him into Umbridge's office "'as a sign of solidarity and loyalty.' Uh, I okay, thanks,' he muttered. "'Right.' "'Well, even if we do all that, I don't think we're going to be able to bank on more than five minutes,' said Hermione, looking relieved that Harry seemed to have accepted the plan. "'Not with Filch and the wretched Inquisitorial Squad floating around. Five minutes will be enough,' said Harry. "'Come on. Let's go.' "'Now?' said Hermione, looking shocked. "'Of course now,' said Harry angrily. "'What did you think? We're going to wait until after dinner or something?' "'Hermione, Sirius is being tortured right now.' "'I—oh, all right.' You go and get the invisibility cloak and I'll meet you at the end of Umbridge's Corridor, okay? Harry did not answer, but flung himself out of the room and began to fight his way through the milling crowds outside. Two floors up, he met Seamus and Dean, who hailed him jovially and told him they were planning a dusk-till-dawn end-of-exam celebration in the common room. Harry barely heard him. He scrambled through the portrait hole while they were still arguing about how many black market butterbeers they would need and he was climbing back out of it in the invisibility cloak with Sirius's knife secure in the bag before they noticed he had left them. Harry, do you want to chip in a couple galleons? Harold Dingle reckons he could sell us some fire whiskey. But Harry was already tearing away back along the corridor, and a couple minutes later, he was jumping the last few stairs to join Ron, Hermione, Ginny, and Luna, who were huddled together at the end of Umbridge's corridor. Got it, he panted. Ready to go? All right, whispered Hermione. As a gang of loud six years past them. So Ron, you go and head Umbridge off. Ginny, Luna, if you can start moving people out of that corridor, Harry and I will get in the cloak and we'll wait till the coast is clear. Ron strode away, his bright red head visible to the end of the passage. Meanwhile, Ginny's equally vivid head bobbed between the jostling students surrounding them in the other direction trailed by Luna's blonde one. Get over here, muttered Hermione, tugging at Harry's wrist and pulling him back into a recess where the ugly stone Head of a medieval wizard stood muttering to itself on a column. "Are you sure you're okay, Harry? You're still very pale." "I'm fine," he said shortly, tugging the invisibility cloak from out of the bag. In truth, his scar was aching, but not so badly that he thought Voldemort had dealt serious, a fatal blow. It had hurt much worse than this when Voldemort had been punishing Avery. Here, he threw the invisibility cloak over both of them, and they stood listening carefully over the Latin mumblings of the bust in front of them. You can't come down here, Jenny was calling to the crowd. Nope, sorry, you're going to have to go around the swiveling staircase. Someone's let off corroding gas just along here. They could hear people complaining. One surly voice said, I can't see no gas. That's because it's colorless, said Jenny in a convincingly exasperated voice. But if you want to walk through it, carry on. Then we'll have your body as proof of the next idiot who didn't believe us. Slowly the crowd thinned. The news about the groaning gas seemed to have spread and people were not coming this way anymore. When the surrounding areas were quite clear, Hermione said quietly, I think this is as good as we're going to get, Harry. Come on, let's do it. Together, they moved forward, covered by the cloak. Luna was standing with her back to them at the far end of the corridor, and as they passed Ginny, Hermione whispered, good one, don't forget the signal. What's the signal? muttered Harry as they approached Umbridge's door. A loud chorus of Weasley is our king if they see Umbridge coming replied Hermione as Harry inserted the blade of Sirius's knife in the crack between the door and the wall. The lock clicked open and they entered the office. The garish kittens were basking in the late afternoon sunshine warming their plates but otherwise the office was still and empty as last time. Hermione breathed a sigh of relief. I thought she might have added extra security after the second Niffler. They pulled off the cloak and Hermione hurried over to the window and stood out of sight peering down into the grounds with her wand out. Harry dashed over to the fireplace seized the pot of flu powder, threw a pinch into the grate, causing the emerald flames to burst into life there, and he knelt down quickly, thrust his head into the dancing fire and cried, number twelve, Grimwald Place. His head began to spin as though he had just got off a fairground ride and his knees remained firmly planted on the cold office floor. He kept his eyes screwed up against the whirling ash and when the spinning stopped, he opened them to find himself looking up on the long cold kitchen of Grimwald Place. There was nobody there, He had expected this, yet he was not prepared for the molten wave of dread and panic that seemed to burst through his stomach at the sight of the deserted room. "'Serious!' he shouted. "'Serious, you there?' His voice echoed around the room, but there was no answer except a tiny scuffing sound to the right of the fire. "'Who's there?' he called, wondering whether it was just a mouse. Creature the house-elf came creeping into view. He looked highly delighted about something, though he seemed to have recently sustained a nasty injury to both hands. Which were heavily bandaged. It's the Potter Boy's head in the fire, Creature informed the empty kitchen, stealing furtive, oddly triumphant glances at Harry. What has he come for? Creature wonders. <laughs> Where's serious, Creature? Harry demanded. The house elf gave, gave a wheezy chuckle. Master has gone out, Harry Potter. Where's he gone? Where's he gone, Creature? Creature merely cackled. I'm warning you, said Harry, fully aware that his scope for inflicting punishment upon Creature was almost non-existent from this position. What about Lupin, Mad-Eye, any of them, or any of them here? Nobody here but Creature, said the elf gleefully, and turning away from Harry, began to walk slowly toward the door at the end of the kitchen. Creature thinks he will have a little chat with his mistress now. Yes, he hasn't had that chance in a long time. Creature's master has been keeping him away from her. Where is Sirius gone? Harry yelled up to the elf. Creature! Has he gone to the Department of Mysteries? Creature stopped dead in his tracks. Harry could just make out the back of his bald head through the forest of the chair legs before him. Master does not tell poor Creature where he's going, said the house elf quietly. But you know, shouted Harry, don't you? You know where he is. There was a moment's silence, and then the elf let out his loudest cackle yet. Master will not come back from the Department of Mysteries, he said gleefully. Creature and his mistress are alone again. "'and he scurred forward and disappeared through the door to the hall. "'You!' "'But before he could utter a single curse or insult, "'Harry felt a great pain on the top of his head. "'He inhaled a lot of ash, choking, "'found himself being dragged backwards through the flames, "'until, with a horrible abruptness, "'he was staring up into the wide, pallid face of Professor Umbridge, "'who had dragged him backwards out of the, hair, out of the fire by the hair, "'and now was bending his neck back as far as to go "'as though she was going to slit his throat.' "'You think,' she whispered, bending Harry's neck back even further, "'so now he was looking up at the ceiling above him. "'That after two nifflers, I was going to let one more foul, "'scavenging little creature enter my office without my knowledge? "'I had stealth-censoring spells placed all around my door "'after the last one got in, you foolish boy. "'Take his wand,' she barked at someone he could not see. "'He then felt a hand grope inside the chest of his pocket in his robes "'and removed his wand. "'Hers, too.' Harry heard a scuffle over by the door and knew that Hermione had just had her wand wrestled from her as well. "'I want to know why you're in my office,' said Umbridge, shaking, the fist clutching his hair so that he staggered. "'I was trying to get my firebolt!' said Harry croaked. "'Liar!' she shook her head again. "'Your firebolt is under strict guard in the dungeons, as you very well know, Potter. "'You had your head in my fire. With whom have you been communicating?' "'No one.' said Harry, trying to pull away from her. He felt several hairs part company with a scalp. Liar, shouted Umbridge. She threw him from her, and he slammed into to the desk. Now he could see Hermione pinioned against the wall by Millicent Bulstrode. Malfoy was leaning on the windowsill, smirking as he threw Harry's wand into the air one-handed, and then caught it again. There was a commotion outside, and several large Slytherins entered, each gripping Ron, Ginny, Luna, and to Harry's bewilderment, Neville, who was trapped in a stranglehold by Crab, and looked in the imminent danger of suffocation. All four of them had been gagged. "'Got them all!' said Warrington, shoving Ron roughly forward into the room. "'That one,' he poked a thick finger at Neville, "'tried to stop me from taking her,' he pointed at Jenny who was trying to kick the shins of a large Slytherin girl holding her. "'So I brought him along, too.' "'Good, good,' said Umbridge, watching Jennys struggles. "'Well!' It looks as though Hogwarts will shortly be a Weasley free zone, doesn't it? Malfoy laughed loudly and psychophantically. Umbridge gave her wide, complacent smile, and settled herself into a chintz covered armchair, blinking up at her captives like a toad in a flower bed. So, Potter, you station looked out around my office, and you sent this pavoon she nodded at Ron, and Malfoy laughed even louder, to tell me the poltergeist was wreaking havoc in the transfiguration department when I knew perfectly well that he was busy smearing ink on the eyepieces of all the school telescopes with Mr. Filch just having informed me so. Clearly, it was very important for you to talk with somebody. Was it Albus Dumbledore or the half feed Hagrid? I doubt it was Minerva McGonagall. I hear she is too ill to talk to anyone. Malfoy and a few of the other members of the Inquisitorial Squad laughed some more at that, and Harry found he was so full of rage and hatred that he was shaking. It's none of your business who I talk to, he snarled. "'Umbridge's slack face seemed to tighten. "'Very well,' she said in a most dangerous and falsely sweet voice. "'Very well, Mr. Potter. "'I offered you the chance to tell me freely.' "'You refused. "'I have no alternative but to force you. "'Draco, fetch me, Professor Snape.' "'Malfoy stowed Harry's wand inside his robes and left the room smirking, "'but Harry hardly noticed. "'He had just realized something he could not believe he had been so stupid as to forget.' He had thought all the members of the order, all those who could help him save Sirius, were gone, but he had been wrong. There was still a member of the order of the Phoenix at Hogwarts, Snape. There was silence in the office except for the fidgeting and scuffling as a result of the Slytherins' efforts to keep Ron and the others under control. Ron's lip was bleeding on the Umbridge's carpet as he struggled against Warrington's half Nelson. Ginny was still trying to stamp her feet on the six, uh, stamp on the feet of the six-year girl who had both her arms in a tight grip. Neville was turning steadily more purple in the face while tugging at Crabbe's arm, and Hermione was attempting vainly to throw Millicent Bulstrode off her. Luna, however, stood limply by the side of her captor, gazing vaguely out of the window as though rather bored by the proceedings. Harry looked back at Umbridge, who was watching him closely. He kept his face deliberately smooth and blank as footsteps were heard in the corridor outside, and Draco Malfoy entered the room, followed closely by Snape. You wanted to see me, headmistress, said Snape, looking around at the pairs of struggling students with an expression of complete indifference. Ah, Professor Snape, said Umbridge, smiling widely and standing up again. Yes. I would like another bottle of Serum, As quick as you can, please. You took my last bottle to interrogate Potter, he said, surveying her coolly through his greasy curtains of black hair. Surely you did not use it all. I told you that three drops would be sufficient. Umbridge flushed. "'You can make some more, can't you?' "'She said, her voice becoming more sweetly girlish, "'as it always did when she was furious. "'Certainly,' said Snape, his lip curling. "'Takes a full moon cycle to mature, "'so I should have it ready for you in about a month.' "'A month?' squawked Umbridge. "'A month? I need it this evening, Snape. "'I have just found out Harry Potter has been using my fire "'to communicate with a person or persons unknown.' "'Really?' said Snape, showing his first faint sign of interest "'as he looked around at Harry.' Well, this doesn't surprise me. Potter has never shown much inclination to follow school rules. His cold, dark eyes were boring into Harry's, who met his gaze unflinchingly. Concentrating hard on what he had seen in his dream, he was willing Snape to read it in his mind and to understand. I wish to interrogate him, repeated Umbridge angrily, and Snape looked away from Harry back into her fiercely quivering face. I wish you would provide me with a potion that will force him to tell me the truth. I have already told you, said Snape smoothly, I have no further stocks of Veritaserum, unless you wish to poison Potter, and I assure you I would have the greatest sympathy with you if you did. I cannot help you. The only trouble is that most venoms act too fast to give the victim much time for truth-telling. Snape looked back at Harry, who stared at him, frantic, frantic to communicate without words. Voldemort's got serious in Department of Mysteries he thought desperately. Voldemort's got serious. You are on probation, shrieked Umbridge and Snape looked back at her, his eyebrows slightly raised. You are being deliberately unhelpful, and I expected better of you. Lucius Malfoy always speaks most highly of you. Now get out of my office. Snape gave her an ironic bow and turned to leave. Harry knew this was his last chance to letting the Order know what was going on, and was walking out of the door. He's got Padfoot, he shouted. He's got Padfoot at the place where it's hidden. Snape had stopped with his hand on Umbridge's door handle. Padfoot, cried Professor Umbridge, looking eagerly, to Snape. What is Padfoot? Where what is hidden? What does it mean, Snape? Snape looked around at Harry. His face was inscrutable. Harry could not tell whether he had understood or not, but he did not dare speak more plainly in front of Umbridge. I have no idea, said Snape coldly. Potter, when I want nonsense shouted at me, I shall give you a babbling beverage. And Crab, loosen your hold a little. If Longbottom suffocates, it will mean a lot of paperwork for all of us and I'm afraid I shall have to mention it on your reference if you ever apply for a job he closed the door behind him with a snap leaving Harry in a state of worse turmoil than before Snape had been his very last hope he looked at Umbridge who seemed to be feeling the same way her chest was heaving with rage and frustration very well she said as she pulled that around very well I am left with no alternative this is more than a matter of school discipline this is an issue of ministry security yes yes she seemed to be talking herself into something she was shifting her weight nervously from foot to foot staring at harry beating her wand against her empty palm breathing heavily harry felt horribly powerless without his own wand as he watched her you're forcing me potter i do not want to said umbridge still moving restlessly on the spot but circumstances justify the use i'm sure the minister will understand that i had no choice Malfoy was watching her with a hungry expression on his face. The Cruciatus curse ought to loosen your tongue, said Umbridge quietly. No, said Hermione shrieked Hermione. Professor Umbridge, it's illegal. But Umbridge took no notice. There was a nasty, eager, excited look on her face that Harry had never seen before. She raised her wand. The minister wouldn't want you to break the law, Professor Umbridge, cried Hermione. What Cornelius doesn't know won't hurt him, said Umbridge, who was now panting slightly as she pointed her wand at different parts of Harry's body in turn apparently deciding what part would hurt the most. He never knew I ordered Dementors after Potter last summer, but he was delighted to be given the chance to expel him all the same. It was you? You sent the Dementors after me? Somebody had to act, breathed Umbridge as her wand came out resting, pointing directly at Harry's forehead. They were all bleeding about silencing you somehow, discrediting you, but I was the only one who actually did something about it. Only you wriggled out of that one, didn't you, Potter? Not today. Not now. And taking a deep breath, she cried, "Crus!" no, shouted Hermione in a cracked voice from behind Millicent Bulstrode. No, Harry, Harry, we'll have to tell her. No way, yelled Harry, staring at the little of Hermione he could see. We'll have to, Harry. She'll force it out of you anyways. What's, what's the point? And Hermione began to cry weakly into the back of Millicent Bulstrode's robes. Millicent stopped trying to squash her against the wall immediately and dodged out of her way, looking disgusted. "'Well, well, well. "'Little Miss Questionall is going to give us some answers. "'Come on, then, girl. Come on.' (laughs) "'Er, Hermione, no!' shouted Ron through his gag. Ginny was staring at Hermione as though she had never seen her before. "'Neville, still choking for breath, was gazing at her, too, "'but Harry had just noticed something. "'Though Hermione was sobbing desperately into her hands,' "'There was no trace of a tear. "'I'm sorry, everyone, but I can't stand it.' "'That's right, that's right, girl,' said Umbridge, "'seizing Hermione by the shoulders "'and thrusting her into the abandoned chintz chair "'and leaning over her. "'Now, with whom was Potter communicating just now?' "'Well,' gulped Hermione into her hands. "'He was trying to speak to Professor Dumbledore. "'Ron froze, his eyes wide.' Ginny stopped trying to stamp on her southern captor's toes And even Luna looked mildly surprised Fortunately, the attention of Umbridge and her minions Was focused too exclusively upon Hermione To notice these suspicious signs Dumbledore, said Umbridge eagerly You know where Dumbledore is then? Well, no, said Hermione as she sobbed We've tried the Leaky Cauldron and Diagon Alley The Three Broomsticks And even the Hogshead Idiot girl, Dumbledore won't be sitting in a pub When the whole ministry is looking for him Shouted Umbridge, disappointment etched in every sagging line of her face. "'But we needed to tell him something important,' wailed Hermione, her hands held more tightly to her face. Not, Harry knew, out of anguish, but to disguise the continued absence of tears. "'Yes,' said Umbridge with a sudden resurgence of excitement. "'What was it you needed to tell him?' "'We wanted to tell him it's ready,' choked Hermione. "'What's ready?' demanded Umbridge. And now she grabbed Hermione's shoulders again and shook her slightly. "'What's ready, girl?' the a weapon 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 said umbridge her eyes seemed to pop with excitement you've been developing some method of resistance a weapon you could use against the ministry on professor dumbledore's orders of course yes gasped hermione but he had to leave before it was finished and now we finish it for him and we can't find him to tell him what kind of weapon is it said umbridge harshly Her stubborn stubby hand still tightly on hermione's shoulders we don't really understand it said hermione sniffing loudly we just did what professor dumbledore told us to do umberge straightened up looking exultant lead me to the weapon she said i'm not showing them said hermione shrilly looking around at the slithering sewer fingers it's not for you to set the conditions said professor umberge harshly fine said hermione now sobbing into her hands again fine let them see it i hope they use it on you in fact I wish you'd invite loads and loads of people to come and see. That would serve you right. Oh, I'd love it if the whole school knew where it was and how to use it. And then if you annoy any of them, they'll be able to sort you out. These world words had a powerful impact on Umbridge. She glanced swiftly and suspiciously around at her inquisitorial squad, bulging eyes resting for a moment on Malfoy, who was too slow to disguise the look of eagerness and greed that appeared on his face umbridge contemplated her money for a long moment and then spoken clearly what she thought was a motherly voice all right dear let's make it just you and me and we'll take potter too shall we get up now professor said malfoy eagerly professor umbridge i think some of the squad should come with you to look after i am a fully qualified ministry official malfoy do you really think i cannot manage two wandless teenagers alone Asked umbridge sharply in any case it does not sound as though this weapon is something that school children should see you will remain here until I can make until I make until I return and make sure none of these," she gestured around at Ron, Ginny, Neville, and Luna. "Escape." All right," said Malfoy, looking sulky and disappointed. "And you two can go ahead of me and show me the way," said Umbridge, pointing at Harry and Hermione. "Lead on." And that takes us to chapter thirty-three. Couple big, big moments there. So what happened? We got to see. Harry go into the fire and realize Sirius isn't home but it wasn't just the fact that Sirius wasn't there to answer his call Creature was deliberately like kind of being morose about the point like not actually saying anything but you also notice that his hands were bandaged now what happens when his hands are bandaged that usually means a house elf had to punish himself for disobeying their master so that's kind of like gets your brain wheels working a little bit and when he says, you know, Master will not come back from the Department of Mysteries. Uh, you know, we start to get a little bit of a, like, you start to question things a little bit. So by that time, Harry had no more extra time in the fire because Umbridge grabbed him by hair, pulled him out. Hermione, quickly, quickly thinking on her feet, comes up with this awesome story. And Chase is about to take you into Chapter 33 and a little bit of how her plan actually works out. But not only that, Snape gets involved and because of the situation and him kind of being one of the teachers that is fakely on umbridge's good side harry tries to pass him that information about sirius and he has to act like he didn't understand it and so now harry is okay. even more like exasperated about you know we're screwed you know we're trapped here by umbridge and my and, and harry said and everything he sees he's like "voldemort's got sirius he's torturing him" We're stuck here. None of the Order knows. Megami was in the hospital. Dumbledore is Lord knows where. Hagrid, no idea where he went either. Like, we've got nothing. We've got nothing. And I went to go see Sirius in the fire. No one was home. Creature told me Master was out. So, he's like really desperate at this point in time. Yeah. But Hermione comes up with this badass plan. And Chase is actually going to take you through that plan here in chapter 33. It's genius, and you're about to see what happens. By the way, uh, just for the
1: audience, because I know it's easy to not quite have caught it, but remember we were talking about where Dolores Umbridge kept telling Harry when he was with her to keep drinking? Well, that was that point Snape was making when he said, remember, you had me use it all, which, of course, you know he's trying to play into the story here, but that was genius on his part, too, by using something that was actually part of the truth, which pulls us into this massive full circle moment. So it's uh, just everything about the writing in these books are phenomenal. Like the writing always fits together perfectly, and that's what's great. Okay, man, it's uh, we're let's do this. <laughs> let's do it, man. Fight or flight. So chapter 33. Harry had no idea what Hermione was planning, or even whether she had a plan. He walked half a pace behind her as they headed down the corridor outside of Umbridge's office, knowing it would look very suspicious if he appeared not to know where they were going. He did not dare attempt to talk to her. Umbridge was walking so closely behind them that he could hear her ragged breathing. Hermione led the way down the stairs into the entrance hall. The din of loud voices and the clatter of cutlery on plates echoed from out of the double doors to the great hall. It seemed incredible to Harry that twenty feet away were people who were enjoying dinner, celebrating the end of exams, not a care in the world. Hermione walked straight out of the oak front doors and down the stone steps into the balmy evening air. The sun was falling toward the tops of the trees in the Forbidden Forest now as Hermione marched purposely across the grass umbridge jogging to keep up their long shadows rippled over the grass behind behind them like cloaks it's hidden in hagrid's hut isn't it said umbridge eagerly in harry's ear of course not said hermione scathingly hagrid might have set it off accidentally yes said umbridge whose excitement seemed to be mounting yes he would have done of that of course the great half-breed oaf she laughed. Harry felt a strong urge to swing around the seas of her by the throat but resisted. His scar was throbbing in the soft evening air, but it had not yet burned white hot as he knew it. What if Voldemort had moved in for the kill? Then where is it? asked Umbridge with a hint of uncertainty in her voice as Hermione continued to stride towards the forest. And there, of course, said Hermione, pointing into the dark trees. It had to be somewhere that students weren't going to find it accidentally, didn't it? Of course, said Umbridge, though she sounded a little apprehensive now. Of course. Very well. Then, you two stay ahead of me? Can we have your wand, then, if we're going first? Harry asked. No, I don't think so, Mr. Potter, said Umbridge sweetly, poking him in the back with it. The ministry places a rather high, higher value on my life than yours, I'm afraid. As they reached the cool shade of the first trees, here tried to catch Hermione's eye walking into the forest without wands. It seemed to him to be more full than anything they had done so far this evening. She, however, merely gave Umbridge a contemptuous glance and pl- plunged straight into the trees moving at such a pace that Umbridge, with her shorter legs, had difficulty in keeping up. Is it very far in? Umbridge asked, as her robe rippled, ripped on a bramble. Oh, yes, said Hermione. Yes, it's well hidden. Harry's misgivings increased. Hermione was not taking the path they had followed to visit Grop, but the one he had followed three years ago to the lair of the monster Aragog. Hermione had not been with him on the occasion. He doubted she had any idea what danger lay at the end of it. are you sure this is the right way he asked her pointedly oh yes she said in a stealing voice crashing through the undergrowth with what he thought was a wholly unnecessary amount of noise behind them Umbridge tripped over a fallen sapling neither of them paused to help her up again hermione merely strode on calling loudly over her shoulder it's a bit further in hermione keep your voice down harry muttered hurrying to catch up with her "'Anything could be listening in here.' "'I want us heard,' she answered quietly as Umbridge jogged noisily after them. "'You'll see.' "'They walked on for what seemed, seemed a long time until they were once again so deep into the forest "'that the dense tree canopy blocked out all light. "'Harry had the feeling he had been in this forest one of, one of before watched by un, unseen eyes. "'How much further?' demanded umbridge angrily from behind him not far now said hermione as they emerged into a dim dark clearing just a little bit an arrow flew through the air and landed with a menacing thud in the tree just over her head the air was suddenly full of the sound of hooves harry could feel the forest floor trembling umbridge gave a little scream and pushed him in front of her like a shield he wrenched himself free of her and turned Around fifty centaurs were emerging on every side, their bows raised and loaded, pointed at Harry, Hermione, and Umbridge, who backed slowly into the center of the clearing, Umbridge uttering odd little whimpers of terror. Harry looked sideways at Hermione. She was wearing a triumphant smile. "'Who are you?' said a voice. Harry looked left. The chestnut-bodied centaur called Megorian was walking toward them out of the circle. His bow, like the others, was raised. On Harry's right, Umbridge was still whimpering, whimpering, her wand trembling violently as she pointed it at the advancing, advancing centaur. "'I asked you who you are, human,' said Magorian roughly. "'I am Dolores Umbridge,' said Umbridge in a high-pitched, terrified voice, "'senior undersecretary se- under to the Minister of Magic and Headmistress of, and High Inquisitor of Hogwarts.' You are the Ministry of Magic, said Magorian, as many of the centaurs in the surrounding circle shifted restlessly. That's right, said Umbridge in an even higher voice. So be very careful. By the laws laid down by the Department of the Regulation and Control of Magical Creatures, any attack by half-breeds, such as yourselves, on a human... What did you call us? shouted a wild-looking black centaur whom Harry recognized as bane. There is a great deal of angry muttering and tightening of bowstrings around them. Don't call him that, Hermione said furiously. But Umbridge did not appear to have heard her. Still pointing her shaking wand at Megorian, she continued, "Law fifteen B states clearly that any attack by a magical creature who is deemed to have near human intelligence and therefore considered responsible for its actions, near human intelligence," repeated Megorian as bane and several others roared with rage and pawed the ground we consider that a great insult human our intelligence thankfully far outstrips your own what are you doing in our forest bellowed the hard hard hard-faced gray centaur whom harry and hermione had seen on their last trip into the forest why are you here "'Your forest?' said Umbridge, shaking now, "'not only with fright, but also, it seemed, with indignation. "'I would remind you that you live here "'only because the Ministry of Magic "'permits you certain areas of the land.' "'An arrow flew so close to her head "'that it caught at her mousy hair in passing. "'She let out an ear-splitting scream "'through her hands over her head "'while some of the centaurs bellowed their approval "'and others laughed miraculously.' The sound of their wild, neighing laughter echoing around the dimly lit clearing and the sight of their pawing hooves was extremely unnerving. Whose forest is, this, is it now, human? Bellowed Bane. Filthy half-breeds! She screamed, her hand still tight over her head. Beasts! Uncontrolled animals! Be quiet! shouted Hermione, but it was too late. Umbridge pointed her wand at Megorian and screamed, Incarcerus! Ropes flew out of midair like thick snakes, wrapping themselves tightly around the centaur's torso and trapping his arms. He gave a cry of rage and reared onto his hind legs, attempting to free himself while the other centaurs charged. Harry he grabbed Hermione and pulled her to the ground. Face down on the forest floor, he knew a moment of terror as hooves thundered around him. But the centaurs leapt over and around them, bellowing and screaming with rage, No! He heard Umbridge shriek. No! I am senior under secretary. You cannot unhand me, you animals! No! He saw a flash of red light and knew that she had attempted to stun one of them. Then she screamed very loudly, lifting his head a few inches. Harry saw that Umbridge had been seized from behind by Bane and lifted high into the air. Wriggling and yelling with fright, her wand fell from her hand to the ground and Harry's heart leapt. If he could just reach it... But as he stretched out a hand toward it, a centaur's hoofs descended upon the wand, and it broke cleanly in half. Now, reared a voice in Harry's ear, and a thick, hairy arm descended from the air and dragged him upright. Hermione, too, had been pulled to her feet. Over the plunging many-colored backs and heads of centaurs, Harry saw Umbridge being borne away through the trees by Bane. Still screaming non stop, her voice grew fainter and fainter until they could no longer hear it over the trampling of hooves surrounding them. And these, said the hard-faced gray centaur holding Hermione. They are young, said a slow, doleful voice from behind Harry. We do not attack foals. They brought her here, Ronan, replied the centaur, who had such a firm grip on Harry. And they are not so young. He is nearing manhood, this one. He shook Harry by the neck of his robes. Please, said Hermione breathlessly, please, don't attack us. We don't like her. We aren't Ministry of Magic employees. We only came in here because we hoped you'd drive her off for us. Harry knew at once from the look on her face of the gray centaur holding Hermione that she had made a terrible mistake in saying this. The gray centaur threw back his head, his back leg stamping furiously and bellowed, You see, Ronan? They already have the arrogance of their kind. So we were to do your dirty work, were we, human girl? We were to attack your servants, drive away your enemies like obedient hounds? No, said Hermione in a horror-struck squeak. Please, I I didn't mean that. I just hope you'd be able to, to help us. But she seemed to be going from bad to worse. We do not help humans, snarled the centaur, holding Harry, tightening his grip and rearing a little at the same time so that Harry's feet left the ground momentarily. We are a race apart and proud to be so. We will not permit you to walk from here boasting that we did your bidding. We're not going to say anything like that, Harry shouted. We know you didn't do anything because we wanted you to. But nobody seemed to be listening to him. A bearded centaur toward the back of the crowd shouted, They came here unasked. They must pay consequences. A roar of approval met these words, and a dun-colored centaur shouted, They can join the woman! You said you didn't hurt the innocent, shouted Hermione, real tears sliding down her face now. We haven't done anything to hurt you. We haven't used wands or threats. We just want to go back to school. Please, let us go back. We are not at all like the traitor friends human girl, shouted the gray centaur. To more Nang roars of approval from his fellows. Perhaps you thought us pretty talking horses. We are an ancient people who will not stand wizard invasions and insults. We do recognize your laws and we do acknowledge your superiority. We are... We do not, do not. No,
0: yeah, go back and say We that do again. not
1: recognize your <laughs> yeah. laws. We do not acknowledge your superiority. We are... That would be interesting if they did, though. But (laughs) no, we do not. Bowing to Hermione. She's our queen. (laughs) No, but they do not. But they did not hear what else centaurs were. For at the moment, there came a crashing noise on the edge of the clearing so loud that all of them, Harry, Hermione, and the 50 or so centaurs, filling the clearing, looked around. Harry's centaur let him fall to the ground again as his hands flew to his bow and quiver of arrows hermione had been dropped too and harry hurried toward her as two thick tree trunks parted ominously in the monstrous form of grop the giant appeared in the gap the centaurs nearest him backed into those behind the clearing was now a forest of bows and arrows waiting to be fired all pointing upon at the enormous grayish face now looming over them "'from just beneath the thick canopy of branches. "'Grop's lopsided mouth was gaping stupidly. "'They could see his brickle-like yellow teeth "'glimmering in the half-light. "'His dull sludge-colored eyes narrowed "'as he squinted down at the creatures at his feet. "'Broken ropes trailed from both his ankles. "'He opened his mouth even wider. "'Hagger!' "'Harry did not know what Hagger meant, "'or what the language it was in form, "'nor did he much care.' He was watching Grop's feet, which were almost as long as Harry's whole body. Hermione gripped his arm tightly. The centaurs were quite silent. Staring up at the giant, his huge round head moved from side to side as he continued to peer amongst them, as though looking for something he had dropped. Hagger, he said again more insistently. Get away from her, giant, called Magorian. You are not welcome among us. These words seemed to make no impression whatsoever on Grop. He stood a little, the centaurs' arms tensed on their bows, and then blow, bellowed, Hagar! A few of the centaurs looked worried now. Hermione, however, gave a gasp. Harry, she whispered. I think he's trying to say Hagrid. At this precise moment, Grop caught sight of them, the only two humans in the sea of centaurs. He lowered his head another foot or so, staring intently at them. Harry could feel Hermione shaking as Grop opened his mouth wide again and said in a deep, rumbling voice, Hermie! Goodness, said Hermione, gripping Harry's arm so tightly it was growing numb and looking as though she was about to faint. He he remembered? Hermie! roared Grop. We're haggard. I don't know, squealed Hermione, terrified. I'm sorry, Grop, I, I don't know. Grab one, hagger! One of the giant's massive hands swooped down upon them. Hermione let out real sarcasm, ran a few steps backward, and fell
0: over. She let a out a real a... scream, not sarcasm.
1: <laughs> oh, sorry. Ran a few steps... Uh, so, one of the giant massive hands swooped down upon them. Hermione let out a real scream. <laughs> Reading a little too fast here. <laughs> let out a real sarcasm as they <laughs> bowed to their queen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There, there. <laughs> Wingardium Leviosa, not Leviosa. <laughs> now, <laughs> Hermione let out a real scream and ran a few steps backward and fell over. Devoid of a wand, Harry braced himself to punch, kick, bite, or whatever else it took as the hand flew toward them and knocked a snow white centaur off his legs. It was what the centaurs had been waiting for. Grops outstretched Fingers were a foot from Harry when fifty arrows were soaring through the air at the giant, peppering his enormous face, causing him to howl with pain and rage and straighten up again, rubbing his face with enormous hands, breaking off the arrow shafts, but forcing the heads in still deeper. He yelled and stamped his enormous feet, and the centaurs scattered out of the way. Pebble sized droplets of Grop's blood showered Harry as he pulled Hermione to her feet and the pair of them ran as fast as they could for shelter of, for the shelter of the trees. Once there, they looked back. Gromp was snatching blindly at the centaurs as blood ran all down his face. They were retreating in disorder, galloping away through the trees on the other side of the clearing. As Harry and Hermione watched, Gromp gave another roar of fury and plunged after them, smashing more trees aside as he went. Oh, no, said Hermione, quaking so badly that her knees gave way. Oh, that was horrible, and he might kill them all. I'm not that fussed, to be honest, said Harry bitterly. The sound of the galloping centaurs and the blundering giant were growing fainter and fainter. As Harry listened to them, his scar gave another great throb, and a wave of terror swept over him. They had wasted so much time. They were even further from rescuing Sirius than they had been when he had had the vision. Not only had Harry managed to lose his wand, but they were stuck in the middle of the Forbidden Forest with no means of transport whatsoever. Smart plan, he spat at Hermione, keen to release some of his fury. Really smart plan. Where do we go from here? We need to get back up to the castle, said Hermione faintly. By the time we've done that, Sirius will probably be dead, said Harry, kicking a nearby tree in, in temper. There was a high-pitched chattering overhead, and he looked up to see an angry bow truckle flexing, its long, twig-like fingers at him. Well, we can't do anything without wands, said Hermione, hopelessly dragging herself up again. Anyway, Harry, how exactly were you planning to get all the way to London? Yeah. We were just wondering that, said a familiar voice from behind her. Harry and Hermione moved instinctively together, peering through the trees, as Ron came into sight, closely followed by Jenny, Neville, and Luna. All of them looked a little the worse for fear worse for weir. There were several long scratches running the length of Jenny's cheek. A large purple lump was swelling above Neville's right eye. Ron's lip was bleeding worse than ever, but all were looking rather pleased with themselves. So, said Ron, pushing aside a low-hanging branch and holding out Harry's wand, had any ideas? How did you get away? asked Harry in amazement, taking his wand from Ron. Couple of stunners, a disarming charm. Neville brought off a really nice little impediment, Jinx, said Ron airily, now handing back Hermione's wand too. But Jenny was best. She got Malfoy. that bogey, Hex. It was superb. His whole face was covered in the great flapping things. Anyway, we saw you heading into the forest out of the window and followed. What have you done with Umbridge? She got carried away, said Harry, by a herd of centaurs. And they left you behind? Asked Jenny, looking astonished. No, they got chased off by Guap. (laughs) said Harry. Who's Guap? Luna asked interestedly. Hagrid's little brother, said Ron promptly. Anyway, never mind that now. Harry, what did you find out in the fire? Has you know who got Sirius or... Yes, said Harry, as his scar gave another painful prickle. And I'm sure Sirius is still alive, but I can't see how we're going to get there to help him. They all fell silent, looking rather scared. The problem facing them seemed insurmountable. "'Well, we have to fly, won't we?' said Luna in the closest thing to a matter-of-fact voice Harry had ever heard her use. "'Okay,' said Harry irritably, rounding on her. "'First of all, (laughs) we aren't doing anything if you're including yourself in that. And second of all, Ron's the only one with a broomstick that isn't being guarded by a security troll, so I've got a broom,' said Jenny." "'Yeah, but you're not coming,' said Ron angrily. "'Excuse me, but I care what happens to Sirius as much as you do,' said Ginny, her jaws set so that her resemblance to Fred and George was suddenly striking. "'You're too—' Harry began. "'I'm three years older than you were when you fought you-know-who over the Sorcerer's Stone,' she said fiercely. "'And it's because of me—' Malfoy's stuck back in Umbridge's office with giant flying bogies attacking him. Yeah, but we were all in the D.A. together, said Neville quietly. It was all supposed to be about fighting, you know who, wasn't it? And this is the chance. We've had to do something real. Or was that all a game or something? No, of course it wasn't, said Harry impatiently. Then we should come too, said Neville simply. We want to help. That's right, said Luna, smiling happily. Harry's eyes met Ron's. He knew that Ron was thinking exactly what he was. If he could have chosen any members of the DA in addition to himself, Ron and Hermione to join him in the attempt to rescue Sirius, he would not have picked Jenny, Neville, or Luna. Well, it doesn't matter anyways, said Harry through gritted teeth, because we still don't know how to get there. "'I thought we settled that,' said Luna maddingly. "'We're flying!' "'Look,' said Ron, barely containing his anger. "'You might be able to fly without a broomstick, "'but the rest of us can't sprout wings whenever we—' "'There are other ways of flying than with broomsticks,' said Luna serenely. "'I suppose we're going to ride on the back of a khaki snorkel, "'or whatever it is,' Ron demanded.' The crumple-horned snore-cat can't fly, said Luna in a dignified voice. But they can, and Hagrid says they're very good at finding places their riders are looking for. Harry whirled around, standing between two trees, their white eyes gleaming eerily, with two Thestrals watching the whispered conversation as though they understood every word. Yes, yes, he whispered, moving toward them. They tossed their reptilian heads, throwing back long black manes, and Harry stretched out his hand eagerly and patted the nearest one's shining neck. How could he ever have thought them ugly? Is it those mad horse things? said Ron uncertainly. Staring at a point slightly to the left of the Thestral, Harry was patting. Those ones you can't see unless you've watched someone snuff it? Yeah, said Harry. How many? Just two well we need three said hermione who was still looking at it a little shaken but determined just the same four hermione said jenny scowling i think there are six of us actually said luna calmly counting don't be stupid we can't all go said harry angrily look you three he pointed at neville jenny and luna you're not involved in this you're not They burst into more protests. His scar gave another more painful twinge. Every moment they delayed was precious. He did not have time to argue. Okay, fine. It's your choice, he said curtly. But unless we can find more Thestrals, you're not going to be able... Oh, more of them will come, said Jenny confidently, who, like Ron, was squinting in quite the wrong direction, apparently under the impression that she was looking at horses. What makes you think that? Because in case you hadn't noticed, you and Hermione are both covered in blood, she said coolly. And we know Hagrid lures the Thestrals with raw meat, so that's probably why these two turned up in the first place. Harry he felt a soft tug on his robes at that moment and looked down to see the closest Thestral licking his sleeve, which was damped with Gropp's blood. Okay then, he said, a bright idea occurring. "'Ron and I will take these two and go ahead, "'and Hermione can stay here with you three, "'and she'll attract more Thestrals.' "'I'm not staying behind,' said Hermione furiously. "'There's no need,' said Luna, smiling. "'Look, here come more now. "'You two must really smell.' "'Harry turned. "'No fewer than six or seven Thestrals "'were picking their way through the trees now. "'Their great leathery wings folded tight to their bodies.' their eyes gleaming through the darkness. He had no excuse now. All right, he said angrily. Pick one and get on then. Awesome, man. And uh, yeah, a little bit about that. Like, what an awesome plan by Hermione Granger to even think that going back to the chapter you covered for us um, out of the fire when she was in Umbridge's office there to think that through on the pressure she had based on what they did before when they were with Hagrid uh, going and seeing Groppin on their way back, like, that was just genius by her. Um, it's not really a plot hole, and they address it a little bit next chapter, which you're going to cover for us, but I think it's interesting how, like, they're able to ride on thestrals, even though some of them can't see them. So just kind of throwing that out there. I thought that was kind of an interesting thing. I guess that's more like, have you seen the Batman ride at Six Flags? Like you'd be like, it's like soaring with nothing there, soaring at Disney's Epcot. Um, but yeah, it's 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 an awesome chapter, and I, I thought it was fantastic the way they brought the centaurs into it. And um, I got to give this to the movie's credit. So it's like the movie part. And we'll get into the differences in our differences episode. But just this little moment for that. Like if they entirely cut out the part of Grop there. But she did like in the movie, the ropes, instead of going around the torso, like went around the centaur's neck. And he's like choking. That was really cool. Like a really cool upgrade However, it's like you did this really awesome moment where it could have been dead on just like you had it And then you cut out like the big climax like why? Like the big part of it You just cut that whole section out and like the cool like little variant you did like you couldn't capitalize on that moment So just throwing that out there But um, yeah, man, and this is why Hermione is my girl right here like stuff like this that she comes up with on the spot like for her age it's impressive like that's very impressive to think of that uh what do you think about this chapter man
0: uh well i thought it was really cool how she lured them in and like basically was trying to make as much noise as possible to ensure that they would be stopped by the centaurs Mm -hmm. she knew that umbridge hated half-breeds so that's a full circle moment as it was as well she hates half-breeds she had like legislation written that's why Lupin disliked her. That's why she was angry as hell when Forenz got the divination job. Like, so, Umbridge got what was coming to her, like, tenfold. So, not only did she, like, get her wand snapped in half, because you guys remember the hooves came down and snapped her wand in half. She's got no way of the, uh, protecting herself. And she's being, like, hauled off doing Lord knows what to her by the centaurs, who are very angry that she attacked them. Then on top of that, really cool moment when Grop... <coughs> You have a hard time convincing me that this giant who can't speak English met Hermione for three seconds at the Quidditch match, all of a sudden remembers that name. I think that's kind of a bit of a stretch. I'll let it go. I I can handle it, whatever. But I like the little scuffle that he had with the centaurs, like all of them shooting their arrows into his face and him just like swatting stuff around, like just a big, like, you know, big Hulk smash type of guy is basically kind of how I saw it in my head. Um, That's cool. But then, yeah, and then you know the the B listers—we'll call them the B listers for now—like Luna, Neville, and Ginny uh, uh, <laughs> show up with Ron. They got—they ended up escaping from the Inquisitorial Squad, got the wands back, so now like you know, and then Luna actually comes up with an awesome idea with the thr- the thestrals to take them to the Department of Mysteries, and this is where that full circle moment came. Like we were talking about how their sense of direction is going to come up big later like how they're very intelligent animals like all of that is now coming to this full circle because they're about to ride these creatures they all I'm going to read it in this next chapter mm-hmm. but to yeah. kind of give a quick spoiler away literally harry all he does is say where he wants to go like take me to the visitors like entrance to the ministry of magic in london and boom they take him like so awesome. this it's just really cool chapter put a lot of full circle moments together kind of got people Uh, Back for some karma there it was just it was well done and that's exactly why reading the chapter in its entirety was necessary
1: yeah it's uh I I just thought it was I mean it's this reason not just this reason alone but uh, to come up with I think you know book smarts is one thing you can study so much but I think like for me this is why like me personally like Hermione is one of my favorites because and i know i just said this but just to put it in perspective a lot of people in the audience are probably thinking well yeah i mean she's a prefect she's studied and all this stuff so much that only says so much like that can be someone that just studies and studies and studies and makes good grades but to come up with a plan like this on the fly really shows her street street smarts uh too so she's got to be given credit where credit is due and you know, I think this chapter. Which is kind of an improvement too. She wasn't oh, sorry, always yeah, like you. that. Not to interrupt you.
0: Oh, I was saying I was just saying, like, it's kind of an improvement because she wasn't always like that. I remember like back in Sorcerer's Stone, like mm-hmm. she lost her mind about the double snare when they first came down. And she's like, she didn't she's like, I don't know right. what what is to start a fire and like Harmony, are you a witch or not? Like start a fire with your <laughs> damn wand. Like so she went exactly. from that to like, you know, she's gradually progressed. And that's why I'll always say this. I appreciate the the character progression, the book brings along Hermione as versus in the movie trying to push her and throw her on you so I agree with you yeah. this is good this is a good uh good moment for her
1: yeah it was great stuff and I was just gonna say you know this next chapter that we're gonna close out with that you're gonna take us through um man it's just there you know what's funny as I just said out of the fire is uh, that chapter was probably one of the greatest chapters in the books this is right up there with it and uh i'll just say you know i'm not going to mention them because we're going to talk about them in this chapter some of the artifacts and things you'll see here in this chapter we're going to talk about on the interesting facts uh episode not giving anything away uh but just kind of like how things wound up there um is what i would say but yeah this is uh, let's do it man we're on the rescue mission here for your boy and uh i'll let you take us away on this mission man it's Your mission, if you choose to accept it, read chapter 34 to the end of chapter. (laughs) Let's do it, man. That's my mission. malice in the chalice, baby, if this is the the ride or die chapter, baby. Good stuff. I
0: accept the mission. I will be taking us through. And quickly, to your point about the uh, artifacts and things that we see in the Department of Mysteries, one of my interesting facts, well, my only interesting fact for today's episode, includes something that we're about to see in the Department of Mysteries. So, cool stuff there. Awesome. But I'm going to do this Malice and the Chalice with you. I'm going to get jumped into this chapter, and we're going to ride this thing out to the end here, then get into our you know, plot holes and interesting facts, and we're going to close out and leave them with uh, one more episode to go for the book, man. So let's go ahead and cheers on that and get on into it. Cheers, brother. I always think of Fast and the
1: Furious. One shot everything rides on tonight even if i die three strikes i'ma go for it this moment josh owns it <laughs> you got it broski oh shit all right oh shit Shake that ass moving like a gypsy <laughs> let's do it man yeah. this
0: is all you big dog ride let's or die do it. baby all right baby chapter 34 the department of mysteries Harry that. wound his hand tightly into the mane of the nearest Thestral, placed a foot on a stump nearby, and scrambled clumsily under the horse's silken back. It did not object, but twisted its head around, fangs bared, an attempt to continue its eager licking of his robes. He found there was a way of lodging his knees behind the wing joints that made him feel more secure, and looked around at the others. Neville had heaved himself over the back of the next Thestral, and was now attempting to swing one short leg over the creature's back. Luna was already in place, sitting saddle-side and adjusting her robes as though she did this every day. Ron, Hermione, and Ginny, however, were standing motionless on the spot, open-mouthed and staring. What, he said. How are we supposed to get on, said Ron faintly, when we can't see the things? Oh, it's easy, said Luna, sliding obligingly from her Thestral and marching over to him, Hermione, and Ginny. Come here. She pulled them over to the other Thestrals standing around and, one by one, managed to help them get on the backs of their mounts. All three looked extremely nervous as she wound their hands in the horse's manes and told them to grip tightly before getting on to her own steed. This is mad, said Ron faintly, moving his free hand gingerly down the horse's neck. Mad, if I could just see it. Well, you better hope it stays invisible, said Harry darkly. Are we all ready, then? They all nodded, and he saw five pairs of knees tighten beneath their robes. Okay. He looked down at the back of his Thestral's glossy black head and swallowed. Ministry of Magic, Visitor's Entrance, London, then he said uncertainly, uh, if you know where to go. For a moment, the Thestral did nothing at all. Then, with a sweeping movement that nearly unseated him, the wings on either side extended, the horse crouched slowly, then rocketed upward so fast and so steeply that Harry had to clench his arms and legs tightly around the horse to avoid sliding backwards over its bony rump. He closed his eyes, put his face down into the the horse's silky mane as they burst through the topmost branch in the trees and soared into a blood-red sunset. Harry did not think he had ever moved so fast. The Thestral streaked over the castle with its wings hardly beating. The cooling air was slapping Harry's face. Eyes screwed up against the rushing wind. He looked around and saw his five fellows soaring along behind him. Each of them bent low as possible into the neck of their Thestral to protect themselves from its slipstream. They were over the Hogwarts grounds. They had passed Hogsmeade. Harry could see mountains and gullies below them. In the falling darkness... Harry saw a small collection of lights as they passed over more villages. Then a winding road on which a single car was beatingly on its way home through the hills. This is bizarre, Harry heard Ron yell from somewhere behind him, and he imagined how it must feel to be speeding along at this height with no visible means of support. Yeah, that'd be creepy, man. (laughs) Really creepy. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) definitely. uh, Twilight fell. The sky turned into a light, dusky purple littered with tiny silver stars, and it was soon the only lights of the Muggle towns that gave them any clue of how far from the ground they were or how very fast they were traveling. Harry's arms were wrapped tightly around a horse's neck as he willed it to go even faster. How much did time had elapsed since he had seen Sirius lying on the Department of Mysteries floor? How much longer would he be able to resist Voldemort? All Harry knew for sure was that Sirius had neither done as Voldemort wanted nor died, for he was convinced that either outcome would cause him to feel Voldemort's jubilation or fury course through his own body, making his scar sear as painful as it had on the night of Mr. Weasley's attack. On they flew through the gathering darkness. Harry's face felt stiff and cold, his legs numb from gripping the thestral's sides so tightly, but he did not dare shift positions lest he slip. He was deaf from the thundering in his ears, and his mouth was dry and frozen from the rush of the cold night air. He had lost all sense of how far they had come. All his faith was in the beast below him, still streaking purposefully through the night, barely flapping its wings as it sped ever onward. If they were too late, he's still alive. He's still fighting. I can feel it. If Voldemort decided Sirius was not going to crack, I'd know. Harry's stomach gave a jolt. The festival's head was suddenly pointing downwards toward the ground, and he actually slid forward a few inches along its neck. They were descending at last. He heard one of the girls shriek behind him and twisted around dangerously, but could see no sign of a falling body. Presumably, they had received a shock from the change of position just as he had. And now... Bright orange lights were growing larger and rounder on all sides. They could see the tops of buildings, streams of headlights like luminous insect eyes, squares of pale yellow that were windows. Quite suddenly, it seemed, they were hurtling toward the pavement. Harry gripped the Thestral with every last ounce of his strength, braced for impact, but the horse touched the ground as lightly as a shadow. And Harry slid from his back, looking around at the street where the overflowing dumpster stood a short way from the vandalized telephone box, both drained of color and the flat orange glare of the streetlights. "'Ron landed a short way away, toppled immediately off his Thestral onto the pavement. "'Never again,' he said, struggling to his feet as he made his way to stride away from the Thestral, but unable to see it, collided with his hindquarters and almost fell over again. "'Never, ever again. That was the worst.' (laughs) "'Hermione and Ginny touched down on either side of him. "'Both slid off their mounts a little more gracefully than Ron, "'though with similar expressions of relief of being back on firm ground. "'Neville jumped down, shaking, but Luna dismounted smoothly.' "'Where do we go from here, then?' she asked Harry in a politely interested voice, "'as though this was all a very interesting day, day trip. <laughs> "'Over here,' he said, and he gave his thestrel a quick grateful pat, "'then led the way quickly to the battered telephone box and opened the door. "'Come on,' he urged his others, the, the others on as he hesitated. "'Ron and Ginny marched in obediently. "'Hermione, Neville, and Luna squashed themselves in after him, "'and Harry took one glance back at the thestrels "'now foraging for scraps of the rotten food inside the dumpster,' and force himself into the box after Luna. Whoever's nearest to the receiver, dial 6 2 he said. I'm going to stop here for a brief moment, because I just wanted to detail the fact that Chase has a cool, interesting fact today about this very moment, guys. So stay tuned, keep your ears peeled. He's got something for you at the end of this episode with this little moment right here. So, uh, bro. <laughs> Ron did it. His arm bent bizarrely to reach the dial. As it were, back into place, the cool female voice sounded inside the box. Welcome to the Ministry of Magic. Please state your name and business. Harry Potter, Ron Weasley, Hermione Granger, Harry said very quickly, Ginny Weasley, Neville Longbottom, Luna Lovegood. We're here to save someone unless your ministry can do it first. Thank you, said the cool female voice. Visitors, please take the badges and attach them to the front of your robes. Half a dozen badges slid out of the metal chute. They were returned... where the returned coins usually appeared. Hermione scooped them up and handed them mutely to Harry over Ginny's head. He glanced at the topmost one. Harry Potter. Rescue Mission. Visitor to the Ministry, you are required to submit to a search and present your wand for registration at the security desk, which is located at the far end of the atrium. Fine, said Harry loudly. His scar gave another throb. Now can we move? The floor of the telephone box shuddered and the pavement rose up past the glass windows of the telephone box. The scavenging theshels were sliding out of sight, blackness closed over their heads, and with a dull grinding noise they sank down into the depths of the Ministry of Magic. A chink of soft golden light hit their feet and widening rose up their bodies. Harry bent his knees and held his wand as ready as he could in such cramped conditions, peering through the glass to see whether anybody was waiting for them in the atrium, but it seemed to be completely empty. The light was dimmer than it had been by day, "'There were no fires burning beside the mantelpieces set into the walls, "'but he saw as the lift slid smoothly to a halt "'that golden symbols continued to twist sinuously in the dark blue ceiling. "'The Ministry of Magic wishes you a pleasant evening,' said the woman's voice. "'The door of the telephone box burst open and Harry toppled out of it, "'followed closely by Neville and Luna, "'and the only sound in the atrium was a steady rush of water from the golden fountain,' were jets from the wands of the witch and wizard the point of the centaur's arrow the tip of the goblin's hat and the house of ears continued to gush into the surrounding pool come on said harry quietly and the six of them sprinted down the hall harry in the lead past the fountain towards the desk where a security man who had weighed harry's wand had sat it was now deserted harry felt sure that there ought to be a security person there sure that at their absence that was an ominous sign and his feeling of foreboding increased as they passed through the golden gates to the lifts he had pressed the nearest down button and a lift clattered into sight almost immediately. The golden grille slid apart with a great, echoing, clanking, and they dashed inside. Harry stabbed the number nine button. The grills closed with a bang, and the lift began to descend, jangling and rattling. Harry had not realized how noisy the lifts were the day he had called mister Weasley. He was sure that the din would raise every security person within the building. Yet when the lifted halted when the lift halted, the cool VM voice said Department of Mysteries and the grill slid open again. They stepped out into the corridor where nothing was moving but the nearest torches flickering in the rush of air from the lift. Harry turned toward the plain black door. After months and months of dream- dreaming about it, he was here at last. Let's go, he whispered, and he led the way down the corridor. Luna right behind him, gazing around with her mouth open slightly. Okay, listen, said Harry, stopping again within six feet of the door. Maybe, maybe a couple people should stay here as a lookout, and... "'And how are we going to let you know when something's coming?' asked Ginny, her eyebrows raised. "'You could be miles away.' "'We're coming with you, Harry,' said Neville. "'Let's get on with it,' said Ron firmly. "'Harry still did not want to take all of them, but it seemed he had no choice. "'He turned to face the door and walked forward, just as, as he had in his dream. "'It swung open, and he marched over the threshold with the others at his heels. "'They were standing in a large, circular room. "'Everything in here was black, including the floor and the ceiling. "'Identical.' Unmarked, handleless black doors were set at intervals all around the black walls, interpersed with branches of candles whose flames burned blue. Their cool, shimmering light reflected in the shining marble floor so that it looked like as though they were, th- there was dark water underfoot. Someone shut the door, Harry muttered. He regretted giving this order the moment Neville had obeyed it, because without the long chink of light from the torchlit corridor behind them, the place became so dark that for a moment the only things they could see with bunches of shivering blue flames on the walls and their ghostly reflections in the floor below. In his dream, Harry had always walked purposely across the room to the door immediately opposite the entrance and walked on. But there were a dozen doors here, and just as he was gazing ahead at doors opposite him, trying to decide which one was the right one, there was a great rumbling noise, and the candles began to move sideways. The circular wall was rotating." Hermione grabbed Harry's arm as though frightened the floor might move too, but it did not. For a few seconds, the blue f- flames around them were blurred to resemble neon lines as the wall sped around them, and then quite as suddenly as it had started, the rumbling stopped and everything became stationary once again. Harry had blue streaks, had, Harry's eyes had blue streaks burn into them. It was all he could see. "'What was that about?' whispered Ron fearfully. "'I think it was to stop us knowing which door we came in from,' said Ginny in a hushed voice." "'and Harry realized at once she was right. "'He could no sooner have picked the exit from the other doors "'than located an ant upon the jet-black floor. "'Meanwhile, the door through which they needed to proceed "'could be any of the dozen surrounding them.' "'How are we going to get back out?' said Neville uncomfortably. "'Well, that doesn't matter now,' said Harry forcefully, "'blinking to try and erase the blue lines from his vision "'and clutching his wand tighter than ever. "'We won't need to get out until we found Sirius.' "'Don't go calling for him, though,' said Hermione urgently.' But Harry had never needed her advice less. His instinct was to keep as quiet as possible for the time being. "'Where do we go then, Harry?' Ron asked. "'I don't,' Harry began. He swallowed, "'In the dreams, I went through the door at the end of the corridor from the lifts into a dark room. That's this one. And then I went through a door into a room that kind of glitters. "'We should try a few doors,' he said. "'I'll know the right way when I see it. "'Come on.' He marched straight at the door now facing him, "'The others following close behind him "'set his left hand against a cool shining surface, "'raised his wand ready to strike at the moment it opened, "'and pushed. "'It swung open easily. "'After the darkness of the first room, "'the lamps hanging low on the golden chains from the ceiling "'gave the impression that this long rectangular room "'was much brighter, "'though there was no glittering, shimmering lights, "'as Harry had seen in his dream. "'The place was quite empty, "'except for a few desks, "'and in the very middle of the room "'an enormous glass tank "'of deep green water, big enough for all of them to swim in, "'which contained a number of pearly white objects "'that were drifting lazily around in the liquid. "'What are those things?' whispered Ron. "'I don't know,' said Harry. "'Are they fish?' breathed Ginny. "'They're aquavirus maggots,' said Luna excitedly. "'Dad said the Ministry was breeding—' "'No,' said Hermione. "'She sounded odd.' "'She moved towards to look at the side of the tank. "'They're brains.' "'Brains?' yes i wonder what they're doing with them harry joined her at the tank sure enough there could be no mistake now that he saw them at close quarters glimmering eerily they drifted in and out of sight in the depths of the green water looking something like slimy cauliflowers let's get out of here said harry this isn't right we need to try another door there are doors here too said ron pointing at the walls harry's heart sank how big was this place in my dream i went through that dark room into the second one he said i think we should go back and try from there so they hurried back into the dark, circular room. The ghostly shapes of the brains were now swimming before Harry's eyes instead of the blue candle flames. Wait, said Hermione sharply as Luna made to close the door of the brain room behind them. Flagrate! She drew with her wand um, in midair, and a fiery X appeared at the door. No sooner had the door clicked shut behind them, there was a great rumbling, and once again, the wall began to revolve very fast. But now, there was a great red-gold blur amongst the faint blue and when all became still again, the fiery cross still burned, showing the door that they had already tried. "'Good thinking,' said Harry. "'Okay, let's try this one.' Again, he strode directly at the door facing him, pushed it open with his wand raised, and the others at his heels. "'This room was larger than the last, dimly lit and rectangular, and the center of it was a sunken, forming a great stone pit some twenty feet below them. They were standing on the topmost tier,' of what seemed to be stone benches running all around the room and descending in steep steps, like an amphitheater, or the courtroom in which Harry had been tried by the wizengamot. Instead of a chained chair, however, there was a raised stone dais in the center of the lowered floor, and upon this dais stood a stone archway that looked so ancient, cracked, and crumbling, that Harry was amazed the thing was still standing unsupported by any surrounding wall the archway was hung with a tattered black curtain or veil which despite the complete stillness of the cold surrounding air was fluttering very slightly as though it had just been touched who's there said harry jumping down onto the bench below there was no answering voice but the veil continued to flutter and sway careful whispered hermione "'Harry scrambled down the benches one by one "'until he reached the stone bottom of the sunken pit. "'His footsteps echoed loudly as he walked towards the dais. "'The pointed archway looked much taller from where he stood now "'than when he had been when looking down on it from above. "'Still the veil swayed gently as though somebody just passed through it. "'Serious?' Harry spoke again, but much more quietly now that he was nearer. "'He had the strangest feeling that there was someone "'standing right behind the veil on the other side of the archway.' Gripping his wand very tightly, he edged around the dais, but there was nobody there. All that could be seen was the other side of the tattered black veil. Let's go, called Hermione halfway up the stone steps. This isn't right, Harry. Come on, let's go. She sounded scared, much more scared than she had in the room with the brain swam. Yet yeah, Harry thought the archway had a kind of beauty about it, old though it was. The gently rippling veil intrigued him. He felt a strong inclination to climb up the dais and walk through it. Harry, let's go, okay? said Hermione more forcefully. Okay, he said, but he did not move. He had just heard something. There were faint whispering, murmuring noises coming from the other side of the veil. What are you saying? he said loudly so that the words echoed around the surrounding stone benches. Nobody's talking, Harry, said Hermione, now moving over to him. Someone's whispering behind there he said moving out of her reach continuing to frown at the veil is that you ron i'm here mate said ron appearing around the side of the archway can't anyone else hear it harry demanded for the whispering and murmuring was becoming louder without really meaning to put it there he found his foot was on the dais i can hear them too breathed luna joining them around the side of the archway and gazing at the swaying veil there are people in there what do you mean in there demanded hermione jumping down from the, st- the bottom step sounding much angrier than the occasion warranted there isn't any in there it's just an archway there's no room for anybody to be there harry stop it come away she grabbed his arm and pulled but he resisted harry we are supposed to be here for serious she said in a high-pitched strained voice serious harry repeated still gazing mesmerized at the con- continuously swaying veal yeah And then something slid back into place in his brain. Serious, captured, bounded, tortured, and he was staring at this archway. He took several paces back from the dais and wretched his eyes from the veil. Let's go, he said. That's what I've been trying to... Well, come on, then, said Hermione. And she led the way back around the dais. On the other side, Ginny and Neville were staring, apparently entranced, at the veil, too. Without speaking, Hermione took hold of Ginny's arm, Ron Neville's, and they marched firmly back to the lowest stone bench and clambered all the way back up to the door what do you reckon that arch was Harry asked hermione as they regained the dark circular room i don't know but whatever it was it was dangerous said hermione firmly again inscribing a fiery cross upon the door once more the wall spun and became still again harry approached the door at random and pushed it did not move what's wrong said hermione it's locked said harry throwing his weight at the door but it did not budge "'This is it, then, isn't it?' said Ron, excitedly, joining Harry in the attempt to force the door open. "'Bound to be!' "'Get out of the way,' said Hermione sharply. She pointed her wand at the place where a lock would have been on an ordinary door and said, "'Alohomora!' "'Nothing happened.' "'Sirius's knife,' said Harry as he pulled it out from inside his robes, slid it into the crack between the door and the wall. The others all watched eagerly as he ran it from top to bottom with Jewett Flung his shoulder again at the door, but it remained as firmly shut as ever. And what was more, Harry looked down at the knife and saw that the blade had melted. "'Right, we're leaving that room,' said Hermione decisively. "'But what if that's the one?' said Ron, staring at it with a mixture of apprehension and longing. "'It can't be. Harry could get through all the other doors in his dream,' said Hermione, marking the door with another fiery cross as Harry replaced the now useless handle of Sirius's knife in his pocket." You know what could be in there, said Luna eagerly, as the wall started to spin yet again. Oh, something blithering, no doubt, said Hermione under her breath, and Neville gave a nervous laugh. The wall slid back into a halt, and Harry, with a feeling of increased desperation, pushed the next door open. This is it! He knew it at once by the beautiful, dancing, diamond-sparkling light. As Harry's eyes became more accustomed to the brilliant glare, he saw clocks gleaming from every surface, large and small, grandfather and carriage, hanging in spaces between the bookcases, or standing on desks ranging the length of the room, so that a busy, relentless ticking filled the place like thousands of minuscule, marching footsteps. The source of the dancing diamond bright light was a towering crystal bell jar that stood at the far end of the room. This way... Harry's heart was pumping frantically now that he knew where they were on the right track. He led the way forward down the narrow space between the lines of desks, heading just as he had done in his dream for the source of light, the crystal bell jar quite as tall as he was that stood on the end of the desk appeared to be full of a billowing, glittering wind. "'Oh, look!' said Ginny as they drew near, pointing at the very heart of the bell jar. Drifting along in the sparkling current inside was a tiny, jewel-bright egg." As it rose in the jar it cracked open and a hummingbird emerged which was carried to the very top of the jar but as it fell on the draft its feathers became bedraggled and damp again and by the time it had been borne back to the bottom of the jar it had been enclosed once more in its egg. Keep going said Harry sharply because Jenny showed signs of wanting to stop and watch the egg's progress back into a bird. You dawdled long enough by that old arch she said crossly but followed him past the bell jar to the only door behind it. This is it said harry again and his heart was pumping so hard and he and fast he felt it must interfere with his speech it's through here he glanced all around them they had their wands out and they suddenly looked serious and anxious he looked back at the door and pushed it swung open and there they were they had found the place high as a church and full of nothing but towering shelves of covered in small dusty glass orbs "'They glimmered dully in the light, "'issuing from more candle brackets "'set at intervals along the shelves. "'Like those in the circular room behind them, "'their flames were burning blue. "'The room was very cold, "'and Harry edged forward and peered down "'one of the shadowy aisles between two rows of shelves. "'He could not hear anything, "'nor see the slightest sign of movement. "'You said it was row 97,' whispered Hermione. "'Yes!' breathed Harry, "'looking up at the end of the closest row. "'Beneath the branch of blue glowing candles protruding from it was a glimmering silver figure fifty three we need to go right i think whispered hermione squinting to the next row yes that's fifty four keep your wands out said harry softly they crept forward staring behind them as they went on down the long alleys of the shelves the farthest ends of which were near in total darkness tiny yellowing labels had been stuck beneath each glass orb on the shelf some of them had a weird liquid glow others were as dull and dark within as blown light bulbs they passed row 84 85 and harry was listening hard for the slightest sound of movement baserius might be gagged now or else unconscious or an unbidden voice inside his head he might be already dead i'd have felt it he told himself his heart now hammering against as adam's apple i'd already know 97 whispered hermione the group stood around the end of the row gazing at the alley beside it but there was nobody there he's right down at the end said harry whose mouth had become slightly dry you can't see it properly from here here and he led them forward between the towering rows of glass balls some of them which glowed softly as they passed he should be near here whispered harry convinced that every step was going to bring the ragged form of serious view, upon the darkened floor anywhere here really close harry said hermione tentatively but he did not want to respond his mouth was very dry now somewhere about here he said they had reached the end of the row and emerged into more dim candlelight. There was nobody there at all. All was echoing dusty silence. He might be, Harry whispered hoarsely, peering down the, next, the alley next door. Or maybe, Harry, to look down the one behind that. Harry, said Hermione again. What? He snarled. I don't think Sirius is here. Nobody spoke. Harry did not want to look at any of them. He felt sick. He did not understand why Sirius was not here. He had to be here. This is where he, Harry, had seen him. He ran up the space at the end of the row, staring down them. Empty aisle after empty aisle flickered past. He ran the other way, back past his staring companions. There was no sign of Sirius anywhere, nor any hint of a struggle. Harry, Ron called. What? He did not want to hear what Ron had to say. Did not want to hear Ron tell him that he had been stupid, or suggest they ought to go back to Hogwarts but the heat was rising in his face and he felt as though he would like to skulk down here in the darkness for a while before facing the brightness of the atrium above and the others accusing stares. Have you seen this? said Ron. What? said Harry, but eagerly this time. It had to be a sign that Sirius had been there. A clue. He strode back to where they were all standing a little way down row 97 but found nothing except Ron staring at one of the dusty glass spheres on the shelf. What? repeated Harry glumly. It's... "'Got your name on?' said Ron. Harry moved a little closer. Ron was pointing at one of the small glass spheres that glowed with a dull inner light, though it was very dusty and appeared not to have been touched for many years. "'My name?' said Harry blankly. He stepped forward. Not as tall as Ron, he had to crane his neck to read the yellowish label affixed to the shelf right behind the dusty glass ball. And the spidery writing was written a date of some sixteen years previously.' And below that, S-P-T to A-P-W-B-D, Dark Lord and, question mark, Harry Potter. Harry stared at it. "'What is it?' Ron asked, sounding unnerved. "'What's your name doing down here?' He glanced along at the other labels on that stretch of shelf. "'I'm not here,' he sounded perplexed. "'None of the rest of us are.' "'Harry, I don't think you should touch it,' said Hermione sharply, as he stretched out his hand. "'Why not?' he said has something to do with me isn't it don't harry said neville suddenly harry looked around at him neville's round face was shining slightly with sweat he looked as though he could not take any more suspense it's got my name on said harry and feeling slightly reckless he closed his fingers around the dusty ball surface he had expected it to feel cold but it did not on the contrary it felt as though it had been lying in the sun for hours as though the glow of light within was warming it Expecting, even hoping, that something dramatic was going to happen, something exciting that might make their long and dangerous journey worthwhile. After all, he lifted the glass ball down from its shelf and stared at it. Nothing happened whatsoever. The others moved in closer around Harry, gazing at the orb as he brushed it free of the clogging dirt. And then, from right behind them, a drawling voice said, very good, Potter. Now turn around, nice and slowly, and give that to me. Oh, and shit. that <laughs> is where we are stopping today with the book. But some crazy things about this chapter. Uh, we get to see Thestrals in action for the first time. Their sense of direction is amazing. Really crazy to think you're flying on something invisible, especially if you can't see them. That's got to be a really... Weird feeling. I don't, I think, I don't think I would like that. I'd probably throw up over the side of it. I'll be honest. But then getting <laughs> to the Ministry of Magic, getting into the Department of Mysteries, finding certain rooms, you know, the first room, it had the, uh, the, the first, what did the first room have? It was the one, that wasn't the one that was locked. The first room had uh, the brains in it. That's right. The first one had the brains right. in it. The second room had that weird dais in it where the stone archway that comes into play huge next episode, yeah. That the little black veal, like, you know, flapping in the archway. And then the third room had the uh, clocks, and that's the right room, and it had the bird going from an egg, kind of like the Sands of Time type of deal, you know, con- constantly going from the life cycle of, of a bird. They get to the, you know, they do everything they can, they get to the right place where they think Sirius is, all of a sudden looking at these orbs on it one has harry's name on it sirius is nowhere to be found he grabs it and then a voice says very good potter now turn around nice and slowly and give that to me and it says a drawing voice so you have an idea of who it's going to be i'm not going to tell you who it is but it sets up the action-packed final episode that chase and i are going to give you for the book next week uh, episode seven so that's where i wanted to leave what i had to say did you have anything you wanted to add to this chapter Uh,
1: Just a couple of things. Um, One thing I had an issue with with the film is so in the book, it's pretty clear. It's pretty damn clear that it's a black tattered veil like it's a black veil. For some reason, I have no idea why in the movie they tried to make it this white ghostly veil, I guess, because they thought it was cooler like, these are things we were talking about. That's a simple fix. In fact, it would have saved you more money because you could have just put a cloth, literally put a cloth there. Like, why did you feel they need to change that? Like, it didn't make it much cooler. It actually made it more ridiculous. <laughs> ridiculous! <laughs> because it almost, like, the black, tattered veil to me like reminded me of something, like, almost like if you go back into where it talks about, like, in in the Bible, like, ancient times, you know, you had the uh, you know the holies of holies and all that like in Jerusalem like something very like ancient and stuff right but uh, yeah all I'll say is um if you tune into the interesting facts uh, the episode on Wednesday that's going to be a big topic is the dais and the veil uh, so not what happens or anything but kind of the ancient history on it because um, it's definitely not anything that just appeared out of nowhere <laughs> so uh and uh yeah man so that's that's what i would say about a chapter but um it's just amazing you know what's so funny is uh when you first look at this book because this is the biggest book in the harry potter franchise it's it's intimidating at first because taking notes is a whole nother level uh versus just reading through it it's a whole nother level it's like college to the nfl it's something totally different and uh it's amazing how we have you know, it is true. Time flies like that time turner, man. And, uh, we've already, you know, flown through this bad boy and we're, uh, right at the peak of the
0: fifth year mountain, <laughs> I would say. For sure, man. So let's go ahead and get into our potential plot holes and our interesting facts here. Like I want to talk about my plot hole quickly, just because it's the one I kind of tease you guys earlier with, uh, you know, a couple hours ago, but in page 709, when mcgonagall tells the class that they will receive their owl scores by mail sometime in july that's completely contradictory to where in prisoner of azkaban on the second paragraph of page 430 it says percy had got his top grade newts fred and george had scraped a handful of owls each before they had even left hogwarts before they'd even left for summer break so, which is it? Is it you get your scores by mail in July? Or do you get them before you leave for summer break? So, one of them's wrong here. Definitely a plot hole. There's not really much arguing that. Like, it's, I, I, <laughs> I have, like, the page number and the paragraph. Anyone can go back and check it. Guys, go ahead and Prisoner of Azkaban, open your books. On the second paragraph of page 430, Percy had gotten his top grade newts. Fred and George had scraped a handful of owls each, and this is before they board the Hogsworth Express to go home for the summer break. So, someone's lying. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, that's,
1: that, I mean, unless it was delayed this summer. Like, maybe something was going on when it was really delayed. Oh, no, man. That's the only stretch I can make out of that. But that's. <laughs> I think that's a clear plot hole. I think she just forgot. <laughs> 100%. I think so, <laughs> but, too,
0: man. Do you have any plot holes that you noticed during this time period?
1: no man i mean that's what i was saying the only plot hole i really had but and i mean they explain it like how they rode on it um the only plot and it's a bit of a stretch it's really just me digging into it but the fact that like they can't see him and still riding and luna was able to like guide them how to get on it like i mean what are they holding like how do they know what to hold on to what if ron wound up grabbing like a spike and it went through his hand Versus, like, oh, I'm holding on to the wings. Oh, shit. Oh, man. It just crucified me. <laughs> like, like, I don't seat. know, man. I mean, that's it's really just a bit of a stretch because I like the way she just tackled it straight on and answered it. But it, it just kind of made, like, I was wondering, it was one of those things where it makes you wonder if she wrote herself into a corner and was like, screw it. Like, we're just going with it at this point. So, But I like the way she answered it, so I got to give her props. But
0: that was the I guess real the only... Sorry. only thing I could say to that is that maybe, like, Luna got him in that position and, like, he just didn't move. Like, he just, like, held on and said, that's it. Whatever happens, happens here, but I ain't moving right. a muscle. That's the only thing I could kind of think of. But it kind of reminds me of, like, what I was saying about, like, you know... It's not really a plot hole, but I, I have I find that hard to believe that Grop meets Hermione and Harry for 30 seconds after a Krittich match, and then they end up in the forest with the centaurs, and all of a sudden he's like, Hermie, where's Hagger?" Like, <laughs> like, what? And he just knew like, to come
1: there. Like, yeah, all of a sudden just, just knew to go that way. So, like, deep in the fucking back <laughs> of the forest. Like, like it described yeah. them as, like, way back like in Aragog's lair, and you just I, randomly knew to go find them there. Like, someone explain tough. that. And uh, not to cut you off, just going off on the explaining the Thestrals thing real quick. I brought this up back in Game of Thrones. Why is it no one in these franchises, the two biggest franchises ever, Harry Potter and Game of Thrones, no one has saddles? Like, why the hell does no one have any fucking saddles? Excuse my (laughs) language. Like, all literally, we described in Goblet of Fire, like, Dumbledore, like, waved his wand and made a bunch of guitars up here. These guys have spent months in the da conjuring patronuses and no one knows how to make a saddle like come on well (laughs) i I don't know to be fair not as fantasy-esque right think
0: about this for a second like they weren't planning on riding the thestrals. that just would appear to them at the time it's not like they like oh let me go get my saddle real quick you know what i mean like they didn't really have time (laughs) to think about it you know this is something that popped up and that was the only choice they had at the time so i guess like my argument to that but no, it's funny because we talk about other franchises too. Like people who've read the Aragon books, the saddle was a very big part of you know the, Air, the Aragon cycle, I yeah. guess I should say, not trilogy. So, But, anyways, how about you go ahead and give them your interesting fact and then I'll give Well, I'll, I'll give my interesting fact, you give yours, and then I'll, I'll break us down. Does that sound good? Sounds good, man. It works for me, brother. Awesome. So, my interesting fact is about that door that they could not get open. So part of it gets a little... like I don't want to give some part of it away because Dumbledore mentioned something about it later on in this book. But I'll tell you a, a little bit about a quick excerpt of an interview that J.K. Rowling gave about that room. So what she said in discussions with fans is that it's called the Love Room. And in, it's a place where they study what love actually means. Like the essence of love. It's uh, So the room, she says she believes would have at its center a kind of fountain or a well that contains a love potion. Very powerful love potion. That's what they would have found in the love room. So you would see wizards and witches taking it, studying the effects in the room. So, of course, it has to be locked. So, and, and they talk about what type of love potion it would be. And because it's it's tough because I don't want to give too much away because it kind of comes up next book a little bit about... Uh, exactly what it is I I guess I don't know if I should okay the love potion is called Amortensha and that's all I'll say I won't say who mentions it I won't say how it comes up next book but the love potion itself is believed to hold a deposit of Amortensha the most powerful love potion in existence so that's why you know with the with the charm Aloha Mora couldn't unlock the door Sirius's knife could unlock any unlockable door not only could it not unlock the door it melted his blade so number one that's kind of sad because you know when we we get to next episode you know we're gonna find out why you know but uh now harry had, doesn't have a knife from Sirius to open unlockable doors which you know really would come in handy he tried it on the wrong door and it melted the blade but that's a little bit about what that room is because people were wondering you know is it just a room full of like uncontainable energy so it can't be open because you open it you just like immediately die or what's in there and so it actually is like the essence of love uh the, the power of it like the beauty and the dark side of everything embodied by the essence of love is what is contained in that room and so with that i'll turn it over to chase for his interesting fact no
1: that was awesome man so what you're saying is instead of going to a coffee shop Harry should have taken Cho there and maybe it wouldn't have ended so badly. They couldn't get <laughs> maybe in? You should
0: have waited till <laughs> spring instead of stood under the damn mistletoe, bro. I they couldn't get into the door. What's he gonna do? Bring <laughs> Cho there and knock on it? Hello, anyone there? Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, well well wait That's really interesting though. That
1: that's really cool. Um That's it makes me wonder, uh, that's kinda like how we talked about know kids in theater for a minute like it makes me wonder what people did in that room (laughs) (laughs) yeah interesting that's awesome man um yeah mine's actually really short and sweet but kind of cool especially if you like the wizarding world of harry potter so just throwing that out there um jay nelly and i will try to visit at some point the wizarding world (laughs) yeah grab butterbeers or something one day but um this is a cool fact so uh you know the ministry number that jay nelly our own jay nelly brought up so that number, guys, is 62442. The way I figured found this out, so there, it came to my mind like something's odd about those numbers because if you think about it, it's kind of a pattern. Like the number seems different. So I started researching it. If you go to Pottermore.com, and actually there's a guy that broke this down in a chart and it took him forever to figure it out before he interviewed J.K. Rowling and she confirmed it because it's very it just shows how genius she is how like the devil's in the details right so I'm gonna break this down for you real quick and then I'll tell you the uh, big reveal here so uh, six if you go to your phone and open up your cell phones right now you'll see all the numbers uh, one two three four five six seven eight nine uh, pound sign uh, sorry pound sign on the right star on the left and zero so if you go to six six has the three letters M, N, and O if you go to two, two has the letters A, B, and C. If you go to four, four has the letters G, H, and I, and you're going to hit that twice. And then if you go to two, once again, that has A, B, and C. So what this actually says- Is that spelled magic? It says, magic. Come on, man. <laughs> ding, ding, ding. <laughs> And Jay Nelly
0: with the <laughs> sister slam That's badass. When you were, say, oh, when yeah, you were saying sister. it, I was trying to figure out what word would have matched with all of that. That's badass, dude. <laughs> dude, it was great, man. It, it was awesome. Holy shit, um, that's awesome. It was so cool. And here's a,
1: another cool trick to the trade. So, a lot of people know how there's two wizarding worlds of Harry Potter. Kind of a benefit we have, and we'll have to do this one day. We'll put it on like a live stream or something. You're talking about at the
0: theme park, right? Not like in the not in the story. The
1: theme park. Okay. Theme park. I wish I could jump through the book, but unfortunately, guys, like we've talked about before on this show, don't try this at home or practice actual magic. This is all fantasy. Hints, fact or fantasy. <laughs> That's the idea here, guys. Don't start a seance in your house, please. Do not. Please do not conjure up these numbers and make up some pattern. No, it was literally made to say magic, not some devil word or whatever you're trying to say. Uh, Don't try this at home. (laughs) Go to the Wizarding World of Harry Potter. Pay for a ticket. (laughs) Or if you know someone that can get you tickets as a gift. So theme park, not real, but fun to see. Um, So there's actually two. A lot of people don't know. There's one in California and there's one in Florida. Here in our town here. Home Jay Nelly and, and Chase over here. Um, right in Orlando, Florida, we have the Wizarding World of Harry Potter. So not in California. They didn't do this. But because we are lucky enough in Florida, we actually have King's Cross Station and Gringotts, which is not over in California. They just have Hogsmeade so far trying to expand. You know, California doesn't have as much space. Uh, we've got all the movie stars over there, all the big leagues. <laughs> yeah. But if you go to the payphone, guys, so go to the payphone near Gringotts and King's Cross Station. You probably pass it all the time because it is kind of near like the night bus, but it's near the bathrooms there. Enter 62442. So that's code word magic, M-A-G-I-C. Spell magic, right? M-A-G-I-C, magic. Just double checking myself. Don't want to mess this one up. Uh, You will actually get a message from the ministry that um i don't know exactly what it says i think it just says like welcome to the ministry have a magical day it'd be badass if it said hey or, you know maybe if magic was real hey chase from fact or fantasy here's your rescue mission go get a butter beer. go get drunk hell yeah fuck yeah <laughs> but no it doesn't it just says like welcome to the ministry almost like how disney you know sometimes you can call a mini mickey donald goofy and pluto will answer but I think this is really cool because you would never know this because this is not in the films. This is only in the books So if you're a true Potter fan like Jay Nelly and I are. All our Potter heads out there. Go to the Wizarding World of Harry Potter, Universal, Orlando, not California. Please don't give me a call or leave a comment on our page or a bad review because you went to the wrong spot. That's on the West Coast. Please do not do that. (laughs) Phone booth by Gringotts and King's Cross Station. Enter 62442. That's M-A-G-I-C for magic. And you will get a message from the ministry. And that's my interesting fact, man. And I'll let Dude, you break
0: us down. Back to you, Jay Nelly. That's badass, bro. I like that a lot. That's awesome, guys. That's good, that's good information, especially for people who might not have known. I had no idea about that. I lived in Florida for, geez, going on six years now consecutively. And I had no clue. I've been to Universal many times. I haven't even gone inside that phone booth. I've looked at it. I've seen it. That's so, that's really cool, man. So, that's some good information that Chase just gave you guys. So, well, dude, when we break us down here, like always, guys, thanks for the reviews and checking us out on all the platforms that we're on. We're on Podbean, Spotify, Apple Music, iHeartRadio, Pandora. Jeez, uh, we're, we're honestly anywhere that you can find us. So, thank you for tuning in to us. Uh, if you haven't already, click the subscribe button. Send friends our way if you know they like fantasy. Uh, We're happy to have all fans, old and new, uh, casual and diehard. We're accepting of everyone over here at Factor Fantasy. So uh, give us a like, subscribe, leave us a review, comment, send us some stuff. Uh, We like the interaction with the people who listen to our show and the type of work that we put into it. We love feeling appreciated that you guys uh, really enjoy it as well. So what I'll say for today is that this has been another ridiculous production. Chase and Josh Factor Fantasy signing Signing off. off